Hey, happy Halloween, everybody. I love you guys. You guys are why this show keeps going. Um, I love all the messages I've been getting. Uh, I could get more emails from you guys. Uh, so send me more emails. That's awesome. Realitystars at gmail.com. Uh, but thank you for all the DMs. And that's my that's my son, Callum, talking to you guys. He's also wishing you a happy Halloween. Um, so in the feed today, you're going to see that there's two episodes. There's two Halloween specials. Uh, that's not a mistake. There are two separate episodes, and they're both fucking awesome. So the first one I think that I'm putting out first... I don't know how I'm staggering it, or if I'm just putting them all out at once. I don't know. You're going to find out. So anyways, uh, first one is with the great Andreas Exertus and my homie Thomas, the paranoid American. Dude, this one was a fucking banger. We go all over the place. Uh, it's fucking Andreas Exertus, so like... We can't stay on one topic for very long. It goes all over the fucking place. And of course we talk about Tartaria because it's fucking Andreas Exertus. But like we also talk about like American spiritualism. We talk about like Satanism. We talk about like all kinds of crazy crap. We even talk about Bigfoot for a minute. We, Anyways, it's a great episode. You guys are going to love it. Callum liked it. He's talking about it. Um, second one is with Mark Steves from My Family Thinks I'm Crazy. It's a fucking epic one, too. It's fantastic. We talk about, like, secret societies. We talk about some Freemasonry and the Illuminati. We talk about Skull and Bones. We talk about Connecticut, because that's where he's from, and he's telling me about, like, some of the occult stuff. We go into some, like, Native American lore. It's it's good stuff. Both of these are... My son is, again, wishing you... Happy Halloween. Anyways, I hope you guys enjoy it. This was a lot of fun. All right. Blessings. I love you guys. Enjoy the episodes. And we're live. Welcome, everybody. This is the Reality Czars podcast, and I'm your only host tonight, Nate. I don't know what the fuck Tony's doing, but that's all right. Uh, I got two awesome guests on. I'm super stoked to talk to you both. Uh, to my right, I got Paranoid American up top, and I got Andreas Exertis down there in the bottom. Uh, brother, uh, how are you guys doing? Dude, I like that Exertis. It's like Exertis, but like it's my expertise, you know, my Exertis. Yeah. What's up? Paranoid American, how you been, dude? Good, good, man. It's nice to uh, to meet you here. Dude, yeah, this is crazy. I mean, so we're talking about Halloween tonight, I guess, is the plan. Uh, Halloween, did you guys see the new Hocus Pocus 2 movie yet? No. Oh. I had okay. to. Yeah, I yeah had okay. To. Is it good? Well, what? No. come on. That's a weird question to ask about Disney. The more important thing is, like, what did it disclose and to whom, right? I think that's the way we look at Disney movies, you know? I listened to fucking Isaac Weishaupt break down, like, the original Hocus Pocus, and he, like, pointed out that there was, like, actual fucking like there was oh yeah yeah there was like actual fucking spells and some crazy it, shit like it I built can... in the real universe yeah <laughs> Wait, and not it's just that man, but there's like a direct line in the old hocus pocus to like the concept of adrenochrome and that, mm-hmm. that almost like a blood libel link that of, virgin you know, magic yeah. yeah bro <laughs> yeah Every parent gets upset for some reason. I'm watching it like, what? The kids can know. It's okay. Well, like, you want to height of like <laughs> satanic panic, too, right? So it plays yeah. right into that same vein. 
It was even, yeah, it was, it was beyond the peak of the satanic panic. It was during the satanic, uh, so 88 would be satanic panic. 94 would be like uh, Marilyn Manson is now a pop star. You know what I mean? Like we've moved into, not quite, but it's coming. It's that period almost. I, guess. I actually thought Sarah Pop Jessica Parker was attractive in that movie. The original. I kind of had a little crush on her, I think. Oh, that's oh. right. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. But that's fair, but that, that means you were under mind control, which was the point. I the must movie. have been, dude, because she's a fucking horse face. But oh, I thought man. she was sexy back then. I don't know. Well, that's, I used that's to think J.D. Lee Curtis was kind of hot, too. True lies? Come on. There are, yeah, yeah, there, yeah. Are, yeah. there are cheaper ways of getting therapy. But in the new Hocus Pocus <laughs> 2, in the new Hocus Pocus 2, the, uh, they're back. And this time, it's now. you know. And so if you think the satanic panic was so messed up in the 80s, and the 1994 had Smashing Pumpkins, and the 1999 you had the Marilyn Manson. Did they well, get the original cast? Yeah, the three girls, not the original guy in the kit. The three mm. witches are back. You know, We've okay. got Sarah Jessica Parker and Bette Midler. And who's the other one? Anybody? The other one. <laughs> She's usually so known bad. as the other one. <laughs> yeah, she is God. the other one, dude. Come on. She doesn't have a name. I feel like this is like a bad, you know, what's that? <laughs> Who? Uh, Brian Wilson's daughter? No, it's not. Uh, I give up. Anyway, in the new Hocus Pocus, women are witches, men are witches. It's America. We're all witches now. We're, we've moved past all this. So it starts out not with some, well, you know, the old movie was like, it would have been, in the, in, in, and they kind of show this, in the 1600s, the movie would have been, kids in the woods stumble upon some weird witch doing her own, having with her own personal culture, doing her own thing, right? And they're like, wow, this is culturally different than what I'm used to, and then they get eaten. Now, in the 90s, the kids accidentally do a ritual every time. It's like, whoa, wait, using this black magic, uh, you know, crystal, like, tablet, scrying mirror, I'm actually doing it. Who knew that the jerk, uh, you know, every time. But now this movie, everybody knows they're committing magic. These are Wiccan girls. They use Wikipedia or whatever. And so they're out there doing their, their magic ritual. And that's how the movie opens. So like, we're just here doing what we like to do, sharing a little magic ritual together. And wouldn't you know it, these witches who used to use the same woods to do their magic ritual, we see them, we invoke them, we bring them back, whoops-a-daisical. You know what I mean? And it's so different because now the the black and white is gone because it's just this colorful Disney world where there's no good and bad anymore. Like these witches are clearly not bad and they strip away everything that you've learned about them being bad over the movie, starting with them as kids reading books. We know during a time when feminism was clearly under the gun of dudes worse than, you know, child eating witches or uh, equivalent, let's say. And now uh, these kids, these girls, well, they're not necessarily good. They're, they're Wicca. They're not necessarily bad, but they're just, they're just kids working together. And so then what's the goal? Well, the the witches are, you know, they meet this witch when they're kids in the 1600s, when they were witches, they'd met as kids, this older witch is even beyond that. And so she, they're like, dude, you're scaring people. And she's like, well, why everyone's scared of witches? I don't get it. And he's like, well, maybe it's because you eat children. And she's like, yeah, but how else were we supposed to stay young? <laughs> Verbatim, you know? And so then it comes to the new movie and they're going to eat about these. sympathy for Hillary Clinton. Is that uh, what this and, is about? <laughs> and uh, Sandra Bullock. I was thinking we're going yeah. towards because this is where it, to it totally turns Sandra Bullock. It's not just gutsy. I don't know if you saw gutsy. That's a whole other Halloween rabbit hole. Hillary Clinton and her daughter show. Don't watch it. But if you do, I'm sorry. Season four is or episode four is with the, the marriage uh, counselor. <laughs> anyway, um, they go to a Walgreens in Hocus Pocus two, And when they get there, they real because the, the girls are saying, Hey, you don't need to sacrifice us. 
for a couple of reasons. <laughs> like one, one, we are witches too. Like it is, it's cool now. You know what I mean? Like, so that's a big part of it Two, We actually only look like we're young because we're basically 40. We go to Walgreens and we get all of this baby skin lotion, etc. which literally, you know, it says that on there. And there's, there's things like that. And Sandra Bullock, you've heard that story, the foreskin facial, right? It's a real thing. Um, so that, plays into the story that they're just the witches are so impressed at the walgreens that technology has moved so far that witchcraft is now available in a commercial form you don't even have to go catch kids anymore which was like it kind of puts them out of a job and then it and then the whole thing starts to unfold so it's a whole it's it's a whole thing it's all about how good and evil are gone in this world and the most important thing is your coven and that's a very interesting turn for a disney halloween movie so this is put out by Disney? That's fucking... Oh, yeah. Of course it is. That's yeah. fascinating as fuck, man. Dude, for a long time, I fucking considered this. Is that, like, I think that they're probably, like, instead of, like, getting babies out in the wild like they used to, I think they still do because there's still some crazies. But, like, they're probably just using aborted fetal cells and things. I'm sure they're just, like, going down to fucking Planned Parenthood and just scooping up tons of fucking baby guts and, yet and running all of themselves, right? There's been so many. Oh my God, only knows. Probably, probably not the way Sandra Peter Bullock Nygaard, does it. But yeah. Sandra Bullock's got like a quality uh, pre-grown post-gestation babies uh, foreskin. So there's that. But there's also a lot of different things. Like if you saw Mel Gibson talking on these Joe are Rogan. ethically farmed. I'm assuming. Or oh yeah, you go to Panama. You go to Panama. And you can get. Oh, you're talking about Bullock's. I don't know, bro. Yeah. I mean, well, and Bullock also. She's got that top shelf. She's not going for like the CVS mm. brand. You know what I mean? She's right. getting the name brand. It's like, let's call it kosher East Coast, uh, locally sourced, and her name is Bullock's. This is already a lot. Who's do. got the best but, foreskin? I wonder. Does she like? Does she go? Is she regional? Does she like get it from like a specific spot and? Just only that foreskin I, from Paris or something, or that I don't know, but I can imagine mm. there's probably less and less people that decide to get their foreskin uh, taken. So it's probably babies, you know, of she course, and it has to be. But the but she it's gets a it's, fresh. Panama Panama is a place where you can buy stem cells from non-aborted fetal tissue and from uh, also all sorts of sources, including your kneecaps from fat cells. There's all sorts of ways to get stem cells now, and they can grow them in a lab. They can actually inoculate cells to make them sick. And then they start to uh, lose their genetic information. They become kind of jumper cells, prototypical like stem cells. So that technology is out. There's a lot of ways around it. And then cloning is a big thing too. Uh, cloning can be, it's very useful to have access to this stuff, but it's not the only thing going on. I think that's the other thing that's important about the movies are showing synthetics are coming now. Pepsi is using synthetic growth uh, fetal tissue, right? It's an alternative because mm -hmm. they stopped using the, the original, but it does help with the idea of, flavoring so humans getting used to human in the flavoring is coming that's well, fascinating this, as fuck i want to point out this isn't even that new because i've got some right. old newspaper articles yeah. from like 1908 and in the late 1800s that are literally describing taking human pineal glands grinding them into a powder and then feeding them to other humans and the theory was that if you fed a pineal gland to a child they could potentially grow from like age eight to age 12 in the span of, you know, like uh, 10 months or something. Like you could cause these growth spurts by literally feeding them human pineal glands. I don't know if you guys uh, are able to see the video, if this is a radio show or not, but if you see the video, we're saying we're looking it's at the video. Smithsonian. 
cool, cool. Smithsonian Magazine, fall in love with cannibalism this Valentine's Day. Pair your red wine and chocolate hearts with another delicious, delicious accompaniment, cannibalism in the form of this new book. Uh, talking about the history of cannibalism. Good job, Smithsonian. Let's go deeper. European hypocritical history of cannibalism. See, they always act like it's so wrong, but they're doing it. Let's go into it. From prehistory to the present with many episodes in between, the region has a surprisingly meaty history of human eating humans. Yes, the 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 excuse here will end up being that it was mostly the rich, but that barbers and doctors were also doing this as well. A big reason bloodletting was so popular. Get the blood from these sick people, sell it to these rich people to take baths in. In 2001, a lonely computer technician living in the countryside in northern Germany advised online for a well-built man willing to participate in a mutually satisfying sexual act, talking about cannibalism. They arrested the guy, and then they're like, well, wait a second. Let's go back further and see that in German criminal code, up to that point, there was no law against murder uh, that suffice to cover cannibalism, right? Because if you didn't kill the person necessarily, then it is, it is not really murder. And so the, why was there no law against cannibalism in Germany? Well, because it, it, it was a trend. That's what people like to do. It was a thing. They thought it was a healthy thing. If you were to have blood from people, if you were to eat the brain, the pineal gland, uh, they thought that this was a thing. Christian soldiers eating the flesh of local Muslims in 1098 after the siege of Syrian city as jerky, right? So, I mean, and then by, back and forth, what they're always saying, who's doing I'm sure it? sure they taste it? a little spicy. They had a different diet. I'm sure it was pretty good. You know, and that's even weirder. <laughs> Apparently, they didn't, they're like the same thing. That's the weirdest part. So the Muslims and the Christians are all the same people. Like the, the Austrian Christians and Muslims, the siege of Vienna in 1539, they were all the same. Up until, they talk about Ill like illiteracy, of course, because they just destroyed the language everyone knew how to use. Arabic was in Spain. It was in uh, Holland. was controlled by Spain. Think about how big it was. Up until the beginning of the 20th century, most people couldn't speak French in France. And in the 19th century, most people who spoke French in the world spoke it in Germany and in Holland, right? And these were people that had been converted by the church because before that they had spoken Arabic. So everyone could speak Arabic in Europe in the 13th century, 11th century, 10th century whatever. And this is, you know, you guys get into Tartarius, you know what the Fomenko timeline, it gets kind of rough in there, but they're, yeah, they destroyed everything, destroyed all the books. And that's why, but they used to be, we always used to be pretty similar. That well, episode you did fucked me up. It was amazing. You did with that fucking, that the, uh, Jesus was European. That oh, fucking word, yeah. episode. God damn that fucked me up. Like them finding shit in like Ireland from the, I don't know, like a thousand years ago and it's saying Allah right. is God and shit. You're like, what the <laughs> fuck? Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, even today, the Maltese Catholics pray to Allah because it's part of the language. They haven't changed the word Allah out yet, right? And so some of the Saxon words, and then if you've seen the video with Alexander Woe where we talk about Shakespeare and how Shakespeare created, the same way that Joss Whedon sort of created Valley Girl on TV with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Shakespeare created English. It's a it's a made up thing. It's not like they really spoke that way, you know. But that replaces uh, the way people used to speak before it. And you can see that they studied Arabic and Russian and the the confluence of those things. And we've been taught that Greek is the origin for both. When really it looks more like Greek is kind of a remnant of what's left after the Sea of Can Siege of Candia. Because, you know, there was a, a prototypical Arabic as well. Turkish didn't exist, blah, blah, blah. You got to see the new one. There's a new talk I'm doing on Napoleon as an illusion, which is uh, with, with uh, David Ewing Jr. That should be out probably over the weekend. Fuck yeah. I'm definitely checking yeah. that shit out. And I, I got to point out the Valley Girl song by Frank Zappa, too. I think for Joss Whedon. But that was a great <laughs> one that has that whole thing down. And That's I want to... 
and we were on the uh, the cannibal trip. But I have a, a theory that I've been working on. Um, I don't know if, if you're ever familiar with the term of engram, which was the oh, yeah. sometime in the early 19. So so the engram was the basis of this flatworm experiment. And I'm pretty you probably heard about the flatworm experiment. Very controversial. But which one's that? I know about ingrained memories because of Scientologists and their propaganda, which okay, I love. Well, well, but... well, OK, so so the engram <laughs> of Scientology actually goes all the way back to 1904. This guy named Richard Seaman. Well, I like wow. to just call him. I like to call him Dick Seaman because that's his name. Um, and. and <laughs> This guy, Dick Seaman, comes up with the concept of an engram along with a few other things. And they all fell under this umbrella of a, of a meme. And it was named after the Greek goddess of memory. And you know the word meme because meme now from, uh, I think, like Richard Dawkins or something, he wrote the selfish gene and meme came out of some aspect of that. But meme really came from this 1904. So did wow. engram, which is where the Scientologists get engram. But in 1955, there's this guy, James V. McConnell. And he's working on what, what is later becomes the flatworm test. And he basically has these flatworms and he's training them to every time they get near a light, he uses electric pulse. You're basically doing like electroshock therapy on these little flatworms. Oh, and he man. trains them reliably that once they get close to the light, he shocks them. After a while, they just avoid the light without having to get shocked. So Pavlov this, worms? It's horrifying. So, yeah. so this is Pavlov worm, and it's literally in a place that they called the worm lab in a basement of a place called Mason Hall. But anyways, he's in this yeah, worm is. lab of Mason Hall, and he comes up with this idea because he's reading a magazine, and it's got an advertisement, and it's got like two uh, twin girls. And it's one of those things like, can you tell which one's using the, the bright sheen shine of, you know, such and such pomade? And who's got like grandma's, you know, recipe? And he's looking at this and he's like, oh, yeah, I actually can't tell the difference between these twins. And he thinks, oh, well, these flatworms, you can actually cut these guys in half and they will regenerate the bottom half and the top half. So he trains a whole bunch to avoid the light. Then he cuts them in half and he wants to know, like, do the regrown halves retain all that memory? And they do. And then the what? next step of this okay. is like, OK, well, if I can essentially clone this one worm into two worms and they both retain that information. What happens if I take a worm that's never been trained, goes towards the light, I take a worm that, that has been trained, and I chop them up in 12 pieces, and I start feeding those pieces to the one that hasn't been trained. And he was able to reproduce in this one limited experiment that there, in fact, was some kind of knowledge transfer through the cannibalistic act of one worm eating the other. And not just that, but that if you fed them one piece, they'd learn it a little bit. If you fed them 12 pieces, then they would get it right away and start working at it. And this is, kind of, I, in my theory, this is like a scientific basis for the idea of cannibalism because an engram is kind of defined as a physical connection between two neurons. Whatever is actually making that chemical bond, that is the engram. That's about as much as it's defined. But if you could perhaps ingest that and absorb it and then gain that knowledge and that power and that information, I mean, we're basically describing the original concept of cannibalism and vampirism all the way to 6,000 years ago. Right, and the so Native Americans eating eagles and things like that to get their eyes. Yeah, sorry. I was just going to say, do you think that they only eat smart people then? Because they're not going to fucking gain anything from eating my ass. Like, oh, rude people, <laughs> right? Like, like, eat rude people. I don't know what to do with that. Rude people are just like 90% of America has like been educated in their public school system. Like, They're just going to get dumber eating us. <laughs> like, so I like they hamburgers. have like... They, so then maybe they have like also, an elite cutting group. off. You cut off your hand and you get one of those hands, you get the phantom memories and things like that. I've always wondered about that. 
That I mean, seems I, like yeah, that shit's fascinating. As I fuck. think about yeah. it too in terms of like holographic theory. So even if you're not smart, right? It's like if I were to consume your brain and all your engrams, I just get all that extra perspective on the world. Even if you're an, an idiot, I get the perspective of an idiot. So my spectrum just keeps expanding more and more, and that's kind of true that, knowledge. That, right? And that's not like Sandra Bullock, but that is a lot more like Hillary Clinton. That was a what is Sandra circuit. Bullock getting? Like I see that little Adam's apple she has. Is that from all the foreskins? I'm just kidding. But but on but on the can, but on the cannibal thing, uh, Hillary Clinton's Kuru allegedly. Now of course this is all just internet nonsense, and so don't get us in trouble, internet. But like you've heard the memes. This is a thing on the internet. They they put out this thing like, oh Hillary Clinton, she's crazy. Uh-huh. Well, how crazy right. is she? She's evil. Mm-hmm. How evil is she? Okay. Well, the internet was saying maybe she was eating people and that because of that, she got Kuru. And that's the only reason I even, I mean, I wasn't researching cannibalism before that. I'll admit <laughs> it. And so hearing about Kuru, you've heard about this, the idea that if you eat yeah. people, you can get mad human disease or something like that. Yeah. Whatever, yeah, the, whatever SJW it's, it's is. a prion disease where it's like a protein <laughs> that eats other proteins. So you can't fight it because by fighting it, you would destroy the good brain cells. So it's essentially non-treatable. I mean, yeah, so that uh, there's it doesn't seem like a great idea to be a cannibal. And then also, you know, if it's expanding your horizon so much that you start to have, you know, AOC like <laughs> policy, you got to be careful, too. You don't Although, need to expand it. I want to point out, if you look into Kuru, there's one scary statistic, and that's that after it's uh, practiced enough and it only comes from eating brains, you don't get it from yep. any other kind of cannibalism. But there is a small percentage. It's like one in 80 or something that can actually develop a resistance to Kuru. So there could be some sort of uh, so those know, like, elite bloodlines, man. Yeah, they've been doing this for centuries that. Yeah. Wow. Fuck yeah. Yeah. And so that is interesting because on the Smithsonian article, you could see it. It talks about the royals with their blood, Mary of Bath and everything else like that. But at one point I posted, I think one of my more pom- popular tweets ever was I'm so glad that the royal family finally stopped and and get in uh stopped engaging in human ritual sacrifice and cannibalism, right? Because that's the idea of the article that we're supposed to believe that it's now stopped. But there's no official point. There's no point when the royal family says they just stopped that they know we're not going to be cannibals anymore. When was that? When was the whole like we're done eating people jubilee? I didn't You're hear like, right it. now, right now, no more after right now. Well, yeah, yeah, but like, now we're done. After tonight, like when is what do you mean? Like, come on, it just feels a little uh it's kind of like I'm gonna quit after this. It's my new year's resolution as an elite that I'm gonna stop eating people, and that's a lot. Dude, look at sausage fingers. I think that he definitely <laughs> eats people. Oh, okay. I don't know that, but I right. <laughs> I mean it Could would fit be. nicely into the whole like green movement, right? If we just start eating each other, that saves the planet. I have noticed a lot of vegetarians who've told me like, man, if I ever stop being a vegetarian, ha ha ha, I'm just going to go right to eating people. Ha ha ha. And I'm like, yeah, that's the point. It scares me. Like you have no self-control. So you have to just eat salads. Like, what is the deal? I don't understand it. <laughs> vegetarians are fucking weird. Some of them. There's, there's a percentage of vegetarians that fucking freak me out. A lot of it's good super friends. anti-human. A lot of the vegetarians that I know, they're like, I love animals way more than I love you guys. You guys are fucking cancer on this planet. I'm like, oh, wait, well, you can start with you first. I mean, <laughs> you fucking you know, hate humans. Like, I know, I know right, some go. really, I know some really good vegetarians. That are like Alex Stein, Primetime Ninety Nine. Alex Stein is a vegetarian. He doesn't rub it in people's faces. You know what I mean? Unless it gets to a point where it's funny, you know. But he doesn't. It's not like he cares. It's just it is the thing. I do know a lot of people that, uh, and and I was for a little while. Whenever I'm going through like some major 
work thing when I was at CNN for a while, I was like, Oh God, I do not want to rock my karma. I'm going to just be a vegetarian for the next six weeks during this whole time. <laughs> Cause I, I kind of believe in that. I, I have this feeling about rocking karma that you can high, high energy that you're affecting things all the time. And I think that was the, the major sell. They're trying to figure out how they're going to sell vegetarianism and soylent green to us. Some people, it was the price of meat. Some people it was the ethics of animal treatment, but for the Californian, uh, Maslow hierarchy of needs, it was, just the idea that you're either ingesting a battery of suffering or something like that because they yeah. put it through this animal holocaust which you want to you know if you're joe rogan and you're hunting elk good on you right i don't yeah. think anyone's arguing with that but foster farms feudal chickens kind of terrifying if they have all these antibiotics well, and they well to make to make a point here though that even if there was a farm right that took the chicken at like towards the end of life and then like as it's about to die they like gently <laughs> caress it and it goes down a little slide and they like do little puffs of like opiates to kind of like slowly put it to sleep. And by the time it gets to the bottom, it's just like completely gracefully passed, felt no pain, no fear. Then you pluck it and kill it. You're still going to get the same kind of pushback uh, right. about just the whole industry. So there's, there's really no line like, and this isn't justifying the torture and the cruelty that they go through, but there's also like no acceptable outcome other than just eating plants and and stuff that but it also there's a time, there's a the fine line of when your chicken's going to college before you eat it and it requires that they have a good decent quality of life then also eventually the idea of humans being turned into food products after that they've had their quality of lifetime Fair that point. starts to make starts to be a thing i don't know if that's too scary what do you guys think about the fucking douche nozzles that are like uh whatever the climate change activists that are like throwing soup on shit and gluing themselves to the ground inside of the Volkswagen. Like I thought that one was funny as shit. Cause they, he said, did you see the guy that was like, we're doing this because we want to fucking save the environment and we want to move to a more sustainable, blah, 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 blah. So he glued himself to the fucking ground inside of the Volkswagen like factory. And right next to him, it says like hybrid electric, blah, blah, blah. So the car that he glued himself next to was all green and bullshit. Anyways, it was just silly and stupid. Yeah, I, I think that there's, you know. Where's the push? Is this the fucking CIA? What is this? like? Yeah, exactly. So I, so I think it's Tavistock. So I have uh, friends on, on, tu on Tuesday. I do a sync tank show. And we just try to look at synchronicities of news rather than the news itself as much as possible. And so you look at like the Van Gogh painting and like the story of the Tournese soys and like the connection with the, the at the time, the royal family of Holland and the Sophia Naturalization Act had come into fruition. And so it meant the new royal families that were taking over were going to be a Dutch House of Orange family. And so there's an orange soup that they threw on the thing. I'm not saying that's necessarily what's going on, but obviously it was also thrown on a glass, not on the painting. So it's just, they wipe off the glass and the painting's fine. So it just, it feels like there's all there, there must be something that, that, when this is kind of like think there's something to that 100 percent, bro because yeah. like just like the way like ai and machine learning work right, right. they're analyzing for patterns that aren't logical right. but you, you've there. heard about the cia in the 60s and 70s when star trek was on even in the 80s uh they could turn on the tv and they'd say star date 46158 and they would know what it meant so it is it's an encryption in front of everybody that only somebody understands like three people you know what prove it is well i don't know if this will prove it or not but this lends to it how badly are these fuckers getting punished? Like the bitch that threw a fucking can of soup on the Van Gogh? Like, is she going to fucking hardcore prison? Or are it they is. just going to let her out? She's going to be fine because she's Dutch, man. Yeah. The Dutch don't do anything about crime, I don't know. As far as mm, I can no, tell. She'll have a deal by the time it's over. Yeah, and Because if here's, I did that, they're throwing my ass in prison. 
Here, check they're gonna out. call me a domestic terrorist, and they're gonna be like, "That fat yeah. spick is going to prison." Well, that's because yeah. you keep throwing Fago up against the side of the post office. It's not the same <laughs> thing, bro. Three arguments why Just Stop Oil was right to target Van Gogh's sunflowers. Okay, motherfucker. So yes, so this is the kind these of- goddamn fuckers. Number one, art is an extension of corporate power. <laughs> Uh, continue. I'm not even gonna read it. Number two, fighting class oppression and climate change is the same. Well, I mean, if you heard about how EU has carbon taxes and they pay in people, yeah, I don't know. Direction, direct action is important. Okay, direct action against what was it against again? Climate change was it? Stop oil. So to stop oil, they stopped this paint. I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it. I mean, so yeah, they're going to be fine. They're not going to get in trouble, and that'll probably make the now that that group is more famous. But you get the idea. It's going to be like a Greta Thunberg, Alistair Crowley. There's going to you're going to see that. I guarantee, bet you a dollar ninety three. You're going to see the number ninety three somewhere in their next poster. You know what I mean? It's just and this is just to also get other dummies to go and do it and fucking yeah, do a copycat shit and start doing. Like, None of the paintings at the Louvre are real, as far as I know. I'm pretty sure all of the paintings at the and this is not the Louvre, but a lot of the time they don't put the, like real the dinosaur bones in the Smithsonian. Yeah, that's fun. That's a fun one. That's a fun one. God, the Smithsonian's messed up. But yeah, and they're not they're not trying to like get their art destroyed because that all has been hidden since the Nazis. Now it's just it's fake art that's in front of you, photocopy. Did you watch Mr. Bean and they put the egg white on the <laughs> thing and it looks. That's what most of that stuff is. And then there's this glass uh, frame on it. And so, like, what was it? A month ago, someone threw something at the Jacob, the Mona Lisa in, in the Louvre. It happens all the time. Nothing can nothing can make. And so it's the sad thing, though, is it's world news that this is happening. In other words, they're going to continually. This is leading up to the iconoclasm period. You know, and there was a 70-year war in Holland after the Spanish lost control. When the Cordoba and the Arabs lost control of Spain. Spain started to lose control of Holland. And so you've got this long war. No one can remember what was going on for seven, how many generations is a 70 year war into the 80 year period. And then afterwards, because of iconoclasm, people went to all the churches and stole all the stuff, smashed a lot of it. And then there's like 50 to 60, a hundred years. People are like, what the hell happened? Like literally we don't know because everyone's dead. So they're just showing up. And imagine you are raised after the collapse of the art museums. And after the Louvre has been destroyed, that's that's what we're they're preparing it for. Somebody was telling me that I mean this is totally ridiculous, but that Holland, like the Dutch, weren't even a real country. It wasn't a real thing until like it was a recent like fake thing. Is do you know anything about that? Is that is that complete horseshit? Like the Germans were actually the real Dutch. That they're like uh, Deutschlanders there, and like that whole thing was I don't know. Is so there any a couple, truth to that that you're? <laughs> There's a couple of things there. Like, for instance, Germany didn't exist. Holland did ex- No country existed mm-hmm. the way they're named right now. But, like, so the House of Orange that comes from that region, they've conquered what were the Frisians. And the Fri- there's an island that disappeared called Frisia. And that that is likely North Holland. That, that's why they speak that language there that's not Dutch, right? But then Dutch itself, you got the French and the Huguenots. So nomadic Germanic tribes, you know, is that idea. But then you look at the map and you're like, wait, these nomadic Germanic tribes lived in Spain all the way to Scandinavia. They seem to be dealing with the Arabs a lot. And that gets you back into that whole loop to the Irish having Allah on their shields, the Russians having Allah on their shields. None of these places were called what they're called today. And very few people were as um, stationary as we think. They were far more nomadic because you had 
access by boat. And so people were traveling a lot more and we just don't get that. We think, oh, well, there's no footprints. It's like, yeah, because it's on a coastline. What are you even saying? I don't know. Fucking a. <laughs> and I, for one, do think the Dutch exist. The <laughs> Dutch do exist. So, yeah, that's fair. They do now. Because Australia there's Australia doesn't exist and Estonia doesn't exist. Or, my, or like some of the best YouTube conspiracies. And there's something to it. Like Australia exists, but it might be that the way it's on a map is like hiding certain islands along the coast. Uh, the government itself has been hired and fired by the queen. There's a lot of levels to that story. Estonia similarly, because it's right in there with Finland and Russia. I still think California is an island and we've never been there. <laughs> I was raised there. <laughs> my my thought is... I was too, the, supposedly. That, oh, fair. Okay. <laughs> That's what they want you to think. <laughs> the desert, though, was filled in. You can see the line where... Uh, you know, into Nevada, the desert was filled in and there were lagoons and there. You can see the islands, some of the mountains in the middle of the desert that used to be islands. And that we're told happened a million or a thousand or 10,000 years ago, but it's getting less and less and less until you see the movie Chinatown. And the idea that within the last 400 years to Mulholland, you know, that California was dried out on purpose and that the gold rush is a major reason for that. I mean, you have all these people coming in, they're using these giant water pipe systems to irrigate and to uh drain and so the, eventually the, in dynamite to blow up mountainsides so that they could wash it away and it, it, it's a war on nature it was a complete geoengineering project why why did they do that uh to own california i think for one thing to build trains to connect it on another thing to conquer okay. the native like tribes that were there the khalifa tribes there were matriarchal tribes that lived there like the maidu and different tribes. So they removed so many, I mean, the native tribes had the same kind of situation they do in Peru and in Egypt, where because of the menstrual cycle, women became the judges and the administrators. Uh, and men would be underneath that. Like the, the wife would own the property. The family would be a part of that. And it would go generation similar to the Jews. Right. And that was something that didn't work very well with the Carnegie foundling uh, spirit or whatever came maybe a century before that. Fuck. That's interesting. I heard a fucking thing. Uh, so this is not about Halloween at all. So we can get back to Halloween in a second. But somebody was telling me that like the goddamn Sahara Desert used to be all greens, all greens and like fucking that happened within like a hundred years from the Roman Empire just mass uh, monoculturing wheat and turned right. it all into a desert. Is that true or is that kind of bullshit? That's so true that it gets weirder when you find out that the Roman Empire basically doesn't exist as an extension of the Fomenko timeline. So that actually only happened eight to 600 years ago. So it's like really weird because the Sahara used to be very recently not just green, blue, because you had these bigger, the mega Chad and the mega Congo lakes. And you had these lagoons and all and the, the infrastructure for traveling by lake was what defined Africa. And the, the names like Wadis, right, for the Wali that went through the Wadis because the water would fill in certain areas and dry out because of the Taman Reset between the West and the East. And then they, de they deviated water into Egypt. So that's even beyond. It's in the uh, Bible because you're talking about Yuya and, J and Joseph is Yuya in the Bible. But Yuya is the name of the Pharaoh that he's associated with. It is the correct name. We're not Pharaoh, but administrator who married into the Pharaoh class and his nephew is Moses or Akhenaten, which again, Wikipedia, the dates, but the idea is that Joseph figured out how to stop the seasons in Egypt. There's three seasons in Egypt. One is flooding season. 
another's uh, dry season. And then there's like the grassland season with the growing and the cultivation season. There's no four because the fourth season happens in Ethiopia in the mountains when the snow freezes when it melts starts the flooding season. And so water rushes from the South North, North through the, the, the Nile river. And if you can cut it off, well, before they cut it off, what people used to do is they would take the water and then they would uh, irrigate, they would, they would trap it into their lands. And then for the next season, there's these marshlands of water that they trapped from the flood, right? From flood season. And they could have all their agriculture, but by, by deviating it, they couldn't irrigate it. And so all of a sudden there's a lot of dry period. And so they say Joseph had this dream, right? But really what he did was he stopped nature in its tracks. It made it impossible for people to gather food. And then they had a bunch of grains accumulated so they could force people to buy it from them. And that's how this house, this family, this mafia that was called Pharaoh, you know, the Pharaohs, that was just their family name. Basically it became the name of their household and they bought everybody's land. It started out with people saying, Hey, we, uh, we gave you everything last year. We don't have any, any more money. Well, that's fine. Just give us your cattle. Well, but we're, we're farmers. We need our cattle. That's okay. You can keep your cattle. Just, uh, we'll pay a tax on the cattle. You know, we'll own them technically, but you could just use them just, you know, then the next year coming back, we don't have any money. Okay. Well then, you know, sell us your land. Well, do our cattle are already yours. If we sell you our land, where will our cattle go? Well, you can keep using the land. We'll just, you'll pay a tax for using the land. And so by the end of this seven years or 10 years, all of Egypt is under the control of this one family and the Hicksaw through Yuya, right? And that starts this major period of also there's dryness, there's deserting happening, and there's all sorts, and things start to fall apart by the 19th uh, dynasty with Ramesses, which is funny. His name is Ramoses, Ramses, you know, because Moses is son of Ra. Fuck. This is like the OG Black Rock for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> fuck yeah, it is. But yeah, they should dry. They should they should stop drying it out because the thing is, there is a huge lake still underground there, and there's been a number of ideas from the French government about irrigating the Sahara and creating a Sahara Bay. Since the 19th century, they've been trying to to re-irrigate it. So the likelihood of it is in our lifetime becoming that way. It looks like that's a big thing that's already underway, and we're not even fully aware but if you type in I snow in the Sahara that. yeah interesting yeah I heard about a project that they are like trying to uh, take back the desert and they get about f- six feet every year so they like just keep pushing it and keep pushing it and I don't I don't know they turn it into grassland I don't know you know what the RLC but, let's talk about feedback loops for a second so uh the thing is once you get six feet every year it actually accumulates into 36 feet and then 660 like it grows really fast so let me see if I can pull this up. So the Aral Sea is the other direction. In Russia, there is this giant lake, one of the biggest salt lakes in the world. I think it's the biggest. This is 1989. They diverted a bit up by the north up here, and then it stopped raining back into the lake. And so this is by 2014, and now it's just completely dry because there's, there's no lake. So you can do the exact opposite, but this is within a lifetime. And we're talking about yeah. how long it takes to dry the biggest lake. But they could very easily go the other direction. If you look at... Uh, snow in the sahara what what's useful about snow is it keeps the the moisture there on the top instead of it going into the ground which allows for it when it starts to evaporate to spread even faster and so snow-capped sand dunes are coming and it used to be once every 100 years once every 20 years once every 10 years once a year now it's every year and it's it's going to be seasonal so that's that's just in the last couple of years 
That's pretty fucking neat. I like that. So let's go back to Halloween. I've got a question. I want both of your guys' opinions on this because I just we just put out our fucking Bigfoot documentary. The next documentary that we're, we're going to be working on is the paranormal. And I don't know how I feel about ghosts because I don't know if I even believe in fucking ghosts. But do you fuck with Ouija boards or not? Because I know this is going to come up. We're going to be going through the Oregon Trail. We're going to go to like some of those pioneer graveyards and shit. I know somebody's going to bust out a Ouija board. Should I fucking run or should I participate? But put I, don't them- fuck, I don't fuck with them, but I'm curious what Paranoid American thinks, you know? I have on multiple occasions tried try to talk uh, Juan uh, from the one-on-one podcast and others into summoning a demon with me live. <laughs> Dang. Okay. Just, just to get it completely on, like, multiple cameras. Just to show infrared yeah. cameras. Um, I might be afraid to even watch that. Yeah. <laughs> The, the crazy mean, and, thing is that demons get invoked all the time and you don't see them a lot of time. You just accept for people's actions like Buffy. But yeah, I, I believe that. And also, I, I believe kind of like we're going to get into some American spiritualism. But um, right. even even like uh, OGs, Alexander Graham Bell, Thomas Watson, uh, Thomas Edison, they actually believe that the electricity that was traveling through these wires came from the spirit realm. And I mean, and I could very easily after enough drinks and on the right night, you can absolutely convince me that that's basically because even the the law of um, you know thermodynamic uh, nuclear thermodynamics is like energy can't be created or destroyed. So that could be like this other ethereal energy that just kind of turns into kinetic energy, turns into static energy. It just it's like the same kind of energy in multiple forms. So I think there might be some credit to that. Right. I was trying to find the history of that, but seances like radio was invented by mediums, psychic, uh, paranormal occultists, the whole field of television and radio would not exist. They still use that shit, the spirit boxes, right? Like the spirit boxes are using the radio waves to pick shit up. Every ghost detective is using ESP, uh, EEP, the extreme electronic. And it uh, it goes super. I'm glad you brought that up, especially with radio and TV, because the guy that basically invented the cathode ray tube, uh, William Crooks, he was like a prolific inventor, scientist, chemist, but he was also all the way hard in the paint on spiritualism. In fact, he was the president of the society of, psychical research in like 1897 or something and this becomes an ongoing pattern um thomas watson who was alexander graham bell's sidekick also was a member of the society of psychical research i mean they were they all believed in this sort of spirit realm that kind of extended outside of like the fox sisters which came maybe two or three generations before all this but it's always kind of been here and you can trace this back not just to like Rosicrucianism being introduced to the States in the mid 1850s, but it keeps going before that. And the, the, the thing that I always think is so interesting is that there's literally an overlap between people being tried in court and killed over claims of witchcraft, but it's usually in like these poor rural communities. And at the same time, in the same exact country, there's people that are like writing books on occultism and talking about spiritualism and doing so for like the rich society so it's like if you're rich and you believe in ghosts and you summon demons it's okay because there's this like sophisticated nature to it but if you're like one of these plebeian you know street urchins that are doing the exact same thing then that's demonic and that's satanic and you're gonna go to jail for it well look what they did to jeffrey dahmer i mean he was just a blue collar guy just trying to eat people and like well meanwhile we have the elite 
actually do look in Jeffrey Dahmer because, you know, he was in the West German uh, U.S. Army base. He was a sharpshooter. He was MK Ultra. He was put on crazy drugs by his military psychiatrist. Do look at that. Sorry, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> get Timothy McVeigh while you're at it, too, because he follows a similar path. Yeah. Dude, but I want to do uh, there an was... episode on Charles Manson. How much you know about him? I did a good thing. You've ever seen my episode, uh, Smash Mouth and Shrekanism and Satanism? American I know, but I need to. I already love it. Yeah, everybody does. Yeah. So I mean, so basically, the thing is Shrek. It it ah, this is such a complicated one. Anton Lavey's daughter, Zena Lavey, who removed the last name and goes by her ex husband's name, Zena Shrek. Shrek after fright, German fright. And Shrek, her ex husband, who they're kind of friends still, interviewed Charles Manson in the eighties a bunch and did a really huge series on Charles, like. 20 interviews with him in the jail really fascinating stuff which will open your mind a bit to what was going on with the u.s military with this you know orphan uh mk ultra pimp found raising a U w uh, dc foundling uh cia plant situation to you know do, be, do a drug deal for hollywood star and to sell them starlet becomers right that's his job but he could write some music and look at your game girl one of the best songs ever written brian wilson should have produced it but instead his daughter who i think this has come up again hold on you know what i'm talking about i like that one better but uh mm. charles manson ended up being the donkey in shrek because the shrek name of the book came from the interviews and the donkey represented the ass the ardent ass the abhorrent ass who's uh friends with the tr the troll the troll who is named fright but it's a primordial fright and this is because at that time people were moving out of the judeo-christian um aesthetics of satanism away from the monsters and adams family into like you know michael aquino and michael aquino was in mm. to the temple of set because it, it removed jesus from the whole equation so chaos chaos and then there's the even the problem there that you're looking at a Christian uh, anthropologist and archaeologist explanation of Egyptian mysticism. So the real thing is to completely erase all the symbolism and watch the Krishnamurti kid in front of you, watch Shrek, and grow a new culture out of that that is based in the primordial fright of Shre of Shrekanism. And that's and Smash Mouth is that kind of Satanism, that American Satanism that is not into Satan, it's into the self. It is a post Gnostic. It's related to Rosicrucianism's freedom fighting, uh, anti-monarchical. Uh, monarch There's a lot of problems in Europe that made it hard to do this stuff, you know? I've got a tangent on, on this for you. I mean, dude, you, I you, brought, you brought up like three or four topics that I'm going to be able to hit on. And I hope some of this thread is maybe a little bit new to you, too. I, I feel like I've been digging in deep this year. And I've been trying to find like the origins of satanic panic in America and trace right. it all the way through. And the thing that, that kept getting me off guard is that you've got these claims of uh, Leo Taxel, right? And claiming that um, Albert Pike was talking about Lucifer and Luciferianism. But then there's like a huge gap of like 50 to 60 years. And then all of a sudden, Anton LaVey and the Church of Satan kind of come onto the scene. Well, I found this thread that is, in my mind, it's crazy because it's like this ever evergreen source of conspiracy. But it ties back to Aldous Huxley. And Aldous Huxley in like the early, I don't even remember exactly what year it is, in like early 1940s, he gets a Hollywood scripter. He's trying, like Aldous Huxley is getting into Hollywood at this point, and he hires an assistant that's helping him write some like sci-fi and some horror stories. This guy's name is Bodine. 
And Aldous Huxley arranges for Bodine to go to Greenwich Village in uh, New York City in like 1942 to meet up with a group of Satan worshippers. Like literally, wow. and it was to, for a research on a movie he was working on. It had to be Greenwich Village, of course. And it was, yeah. And that's a whole other tangent we can freaking uh, tear <laughs> apart. But but so we've got Aldous Huxley, his assistant, gets, ty- um, gets scheduled to meet with these quote-unquote Satan worshippers. He goes to meet with them, and it turns out that what they actually were referred to as were um, uh, P- Paladins or Paladinists, or I've got the, the name a little bit skewed, but that word, Paladinist, comes from Leo Taxel's um, oh. Freemasonry and Baphomet, and that's what he kind of made this fictionalized version of these like Freemasonic Satan worshippers, and he called them Paladists. And that word Paladist somehow got transferred all the way 50, 60 years later out as Huxley's research assistant. And this um, this meeting gets written to the seventh victim. And then Bodine goes on to write for a whole bunch of other movies and TV. Well, one of those shows um, is, a, is a TV show that a 17-year-old Anton LaVey watches after he comes home from work one night. And oh. it's basically starring Don Rickles. And if Don Rickles is the comedian. Um, what show is recently. this? The, the show is called uh, Wild Wild West. And the episode's name was called Night of the Druid's Blood. And it features, oh, man. It features Don Rickles with a shaved head. With a little goatee that you know from Anton LaVey, like like he was the prototypal Anton LaVey. Mm-hmm. Anton LaVey watches this TV show and he's kind of like a lounge singer. He's trying to get into entertainment a little bit. So he watches this as a 17 year old kid and he's like, I'm going to shave my head and I'm going to dress up just like Don Rickles in this episode of Wild Wild West called Night of the Druid's Blood. And he does oh that like God. the next night. And he on like during that performance, you know, he's like a piano player or something like a lounge player. Well, he decides to shave his head in front of his audience, don this little goatee, put on the hood, and he then declares that little nightclub, this is the first uh, meeting of the Church of Satan. And that was the origin of the Church of Satan, but it was entirely based on a TV show that he watched that was written by Aldous Huxley's assistant that had gone to meet with these Greenwich you know, um, Village Satanists. With It's this crazy freaking time. That ties so many things together. That's insane. Well, well and I want to throw in that we wouldn't even know what adrenochrome is in, in popular culture if it weren't for Aldous Huxley's Doors of Perception. So this mm-hmm. one person... And and the only reason that we know about both of these things is because Aldous Huxley decided to kind of like plant himself in the middle of Hollywood. So Hollywood right. becomes this conduit of adrenochrome, of Satanism, and it ties all the way back to like pre-1940s. So this right. was this huge chunk that I always felt like I was missing, and I landed on. There it is with Bodine, Huxley. Dude, I got to watch the Wild Wild West show. I mean, I've seen the movie and I know it was based on the show. The thing that's weird about the movie, obviously, is all that stuff's true in the movie. Eventually, when you start looking to Tartarian, you find about the Confederacy and what they were working on and like the like the Confederate submarines and the kind of the airships and things. You're like, wait a second, that movie? That, that, no wonder. And it came, ah, more real than the Matrix. But then uh, the, the idea about, about Anton LaVey being this aesthetic. So you've got all these people that were into occult and into Gnosticism and carrying on. I mean, Benjamin Franklin and the Hellfire Society doing uh, Islamic uh, Sufi rituals and things like that. So these were all kind of, I want to call them white collar, but they're really like the ruffled collar. Like Elvis is Persian mystic collar. It's so white, but it's it's a little bit more magical. It doesn't look like Satanism until Anton LaVey. Anton LaVey comes in and says, 
let's do the monsters. Let's look like the Adams family. Let's freak everybody out. And that is not Satanism. Everything about it is like, well, what are we going to do? We're going to follow the law. I mean, not, not the law that you heard about. Not, not great as the law. No, 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 no. The real, like, don't smoke on a park bench law. Like that's not what, it, but because of that, people would look at the American Satanist movement in the sixties and say, Oh, look at that guy. No, he's a good guy. He's a, he doesn't smoke. He's a vegetarian. He, he, he helps out after school. Yeah. He's a Satanist. Yeah. He's a good guy. You know, that was the goal to make Satanism sound like a totally socially acceptable thing. I think that was the main goal. I mean, with, they were only off by about 50 years. Like we would get there, just not in that generation. Even slowly though, because at that point it got to the point where if you're in a park and your kid goes missing, you don't know who to point at because you know, you're like, well, I mean, clearly the guy who looks evil probably isn't anymore. And the dude who looks like good, definitely the, I mean, that's the most likely the suspect at this point, somebody who looks clean cut, the devil wears uh, sheep's skin or whatever, you know? So, I mean, th that began, I think in the sixties, but also you've got, have you seen the original Star Trek script, the screenplay for the original uh, pilot with Albert Pike? I've oh, seen the the pilot. But... Albert Pike was supposed to be in the original pilot. So in the new the new Star Treks, they've gone gung ho on the prequel because the original Star Trek, they just Captain Kirk Church Kirk is replaced. That means Church is replacing Albert Pike. Albert Pike, who wrote Morals and Dogma, you know. Right, right. I mean, maybe somebody doesn't know that, so I figured we say it. But you know, so it's kind of a good joke that that Gene Roddenberry is going with that. You've got this ship, and it's a lot like the HMS, Her Majesty's ship. In the sense that it's you used to have a Jesuit on board, but now you've got the Anglican, right? And the Anglican's a new new kind of priest. Well, you've got Albert Pike next to Spock, and Spock is an Anton LaVey looking in the script. Anton LaVey looking guy, bald with the weird eyebrows. Yeah, he's got magic powers and yeah. And he's the Jesuit advisor, but instead of being a Jesuit, he's a humanist, right? He's following all because what does Anton LaVey really teach? If you've ever taken uh, ethics 101 in a community college, that's what it is. That's there's nothing more to it. It's literally just Socratic, Socratic ethic, and so that is uh, and that is the prime directive. And so Star Trek is built on this idea: of what if into the future, when we finally have moved past, uh, you know, Je Je Jesuit conspiracy and everything, that we'll have a, a better future. It'll be a satanic liberal republic with an NSA that boldly knows what no one's known before. I had no, I never uh, read into that one. I love that. <laughs> the Albert Pike and the Star Trek. Yeah, it's brutal. Damn. And yeah, and Dude, you always Levy. fuck up my shit, man. I'm a hardcore <laughs> Trekkie. I've seen every single series ever except for the new shit. I was about I to say, come on, you yeah. didn't see the new stuff. Come mm. on, yeah. I do love uh, Deep Space Nine and Voyager. You know, Deep Space Nine is fan fucking fantastic. Yeah. yeah, I love Voyager. That's the one that I grew up watching because it was like my, I think we're close to the same age, probably. Voyager's a fever dream though right it's like literally the show should have ended with uh, the captain waking up uh, in, in a high school like on the floor after falling and this was like her dream right and then the custodian shows up and she's been in love with him the whole time it's like, it's like, it's like a quantum leap episode yeah exactly it's like wait a second all of that was just in my head like because it seems like it's designed to help women in administration who work with the Latino uh, you know guy who works at the school whatever or the hospital he's the guy who works he's lower in the position because of socioeconomic policy chakotay is yeah he's yeah. the janitor of the ship in a weird way and she's the principal you know still a good show mm. i also like that this the maquis are a real fascist uh fighting group in italy they were fighting anti-fascist and so the show does 
focus on operation paperclip a lot like the borg seven of nine is a nazi um even using a yeah. german actress and everything that the cardassians and uh, the borg have done related back to uh human rights atrocities right like that's pretty clever dude we gotta do an episode just on star trek dude you're blowing my mind with this shit i love they don't have a halloween episode though. fucking amazing because i was pretty sure that yeah the what the fuck are those assholes called what are the spoonhead guys called they are the Cardassians. I thought they were the Nazis. They are Nazis, but it's the Borg. Yeah. The Borg have assimilated and they've created a kind of fascistic. I mean, it's the idea of the, yeah. the, the, the Cardassians are the Nazis in the like more literal sense of being like the Germans were in the war. The Borg are like, yeah, they the weren't potential. subtle about that in deep space. The Borg are like, all. what would happen if that continued on? It's like, if the idea well, of proliferating the, the, the is like Nazis in, in Antarctica with the fucking flying ships and shit. Yeah. It's it's a little more Thule, I agree. Sorry, what do you say, well, because, well, I was saying that the the Borg seem more like the Vril, which were like the right. the, the, the <laughs> entities that the Nazis were trying to summon down onto the Earth. Yeah, uh, that's a solid metaphor. I'm going with that. I agree. <laughs> okay, so I, got a, I got another some <laughs> some other spiritualist uh, ties to throw out there, so that they get into some interesting ones. So. I mentioned William Crooks, Cathode Ray Tube, uh, Thomas Edison. Edison also tried to invent. He was kind of like on the line between he was open to it, but he was also a hardcore scientist. So he actually made a couple inventions that were specifically made to talk to like the spiritual realm. And I think that uh, he was lifelong friends with Henry Ford. Um, oh. And I believe Henry Ford heavily believed in reincarnation yeah. and spiritualism. And uh, Henry Ford ended up talking Thomas Edison's son into capturing Edison's very last dying breath into a test tube. And they still keep this test tube on display in the Henry Ford Museum in Fort Myers, Florida. Um, but basically the last breath that Edison ever took is inside this test tube because they had this theory that if you were to able to capture the last breath, you could then um, basically reanimate that person sometime oh in the future, almost like a frozen Disney head in a way. I bet you could. That's the weirdest part. It might, if you could take With care of it, because the breath might also have gingivitis or something that would eat the other stuff in the breath. But if you could take, if you could freeze it or something like that, there's probably enough data in there. I mean, and then, go ahead. No, no. You, oh, so this is one of gets into one of my favorite ones. This one is the most speculative, probably the most fictional. But uh, if you've ever heard of Benjamin Fulford. Um, who ended up, he was like a finance writer and he moved over to Japan for a while. And then he started writing about like the white dragon society, which was yeah. like the antithesis of the Bavarian Illuminati and all this stuff. Well, he claims that his like great uncle or great grandpa, George Taylor Fulford, um, who was born in like 1850s, that he was able to communicate with him um, like, you know, over like a Ouija board essentially. And that, his great grandpa died because he was helping fund Nikola Tesla and that he's credited his uh, grandpa. You were mentioned in uh, Canada before he's credited with being the first Canadian fatal automobile accident on record, what? which is yeah. Benjamin Fulford's grandpa, which is uh, kind of a crazy, he, he basically got sideswiped by a streetcar while he was in another car, but it's the first one on record. Um, but that he also apparently was, um, working on a patent for J.D. Rockefeller at the time. So there was like this assassination sort of uh, aspect to it. But Benjamin Forford contacts him and talks to him and basically tries to channel like, uh, you know, the Rockefeller families through his dead uh, grandpa. I always, that was one of my favorite ones. Wow. I mean, there's, there's uh, in, 
in terms of like the machines talking back and forth, somehow I'm a little bit more open to that than the Ouija board, but that seems maybe I'm being silly. Like why am I more afraid of the board than the, the computer radio? But I think that there's something there. So when you think about ghosts, um, there was this one episode of like a ghost hunter show where they go to Chernobyl and that was the one that I got. Okay. I can see that because if, some sort of weird Manhattan project energy kind of thing traps their essence in the corners of the Chernobyl buildings. And then that's draining their, their, the camera guys go into a place, a desk would flip up and then their batteries would just drain down in front of them. It's like, beep, like all the way to zero. And it could be, I could see something like that, that there's a uh, continuation continuity loop. There was this idea that miso soup was uh, a re re reaction to the Hiroshima bombing that, there are ripples in time when this happened because when so the soup. I'm, I'm waiting to hear the connection here word when the Japanese uh, got bombed or, and there was a lot of people dying, the scientists were going around trying to work it out. What was going on and what they could help people. And they weren't dying. And the scientists were fine for the most part. They're like what's going on. You should have way more radiation poisoning. And you're like, we don't know. Like we're not, we, all we, all we're doing is running around. We have a little miso soup and then we keep going like, okay, well, look into that so they looked into the miso soup and they found that it was eating radioactive metals uh and heavy metals and the lead and mercury and it's really good in general you should have miso soup because it'll flush your system out of all kinds of horrible toxic metals and they're like well that's crazy no fucking shit yeah because it's a weird enzyme that digests proteins into uh, omega acids amino acids i'm sorry and the amino acids then are able to grab onto any in the process of unfolding and refolding up they're able to remove any broken folds that have happened because of radio uh that can fray them out so it's really useful and they're like well how does this exist and it's this weird enzyme that's been eating protein that's been there for maybe four to six to a thousand years or forever but hmm. the way some scientists did some research into it they're saying it's just too crazy that this exists and only right here and that it's just been ready for it and this idea of uh, if you drop something into a pond, one of the scientists came up with in Japan, that there are rings out of it. And this is a scientist who's working on the Japanese nuclear project, which a lot of people don't realize had a nuclear bomb that they detonated. The Japanese detonated a nuclear bomb in North Korea as a test at the end of the war after Japan had been bombed because they didn't want the U.S. to capture it. But you can you can find out if you dig into it, the Japanese nuclear project. But the scientist was like, if there's a cause and effect it's going beyond forwards in time. If it's actually affecting rings back, then this could be an example of one of those things where this enzyme was created literally to make it possible for this civilization to survive. And there's all of these stories, CERN and Mandala effect projects. The uh, Robert Anton Wilson's Illuminatus trilogy talks about Fjord or Fjord, right? Because the idea that Fjord used to be spelled with a J in one reality. And so many people remember this. And then we think of Ford. The, the Berenstain Bears uh, theory, essentially. Yeah, but it's an older one. It's the idea that there are, you know, Berenstain Bears is an interesting one, too. The idea of Nord's cool because Robert Anton Wilson and Playboy magazine got everyone to send in their conspiracy theories. And they're like, wow, it's weird that there's such a huge population that remembers Ford spelled this way back before the Etzel, back when Ford was still the biggest company in America. And then they get this guy to take over Ford from Ford Firestone Tire and the vice president is a Ford during the uh, time when most people are self-emulating in the United States history, right? Burning themselves because of the Vietnam drafts and things like that. But wait, you just said the one before for uh, Berenstein. So the thing that's interesting and ties it to Berenstein is that Berenstein, when they did the research and they asked the grandson of the, the son of the writers, he said, it's always been Berenstein since the 13th century, because in the 13th century, the Visigoths 
uh, fought with these Tartars in this battle. And so when the Tartars won, of course, the Russian Shatan name, but if it had been the German Visigoths, it would have been Stein. And so it was a weird reason. You're saying that all... the Berenstein Bears are linked to Tartaria. It was the weird, mm-hmm. right? That's not <laughs> my fault. I didn't come up I with it. it. I'm just saying. Awesome. So it just, I was like, of all things that you could have tied it to. So, I, but it's also even on another level, even if you didn't, even if you weren't into the tarnation of the whole thing, it is weird that they're tying it back saying, well, this would have been because of some battle that happened in our history is changed forever because of that battle. And we live in this causality, right? And so that is interesting, I think. Andreas, I have a question about your opinion on nukes in general and atomic weapons and things like that. Because I've had I've had enough folks talk to me convincingly and basically convince me that nuclear weapons don't exist. But then I've also had other folks who are like, you're retarded. Of course they exist. And and also, real quick, so should I drink miso soup if I eat fish out of the Pacific Ocean? I think miso soup is one of those things you just have all the time because it's awesome. And yes, Dude, I've probably. got like a pound of miso fucking paste in, yeah. my, in my cabinet a lot right of now. Yeah. A get a hot water heater. Get two spoons of miso. I got that. Do it every once in a while, you know? It'll yeah, flush you up. fuck yeah. A little bit of kale and some seaweed. But yeah, you know, I mean, you got to be careful probably. But not because of the radiation, because of the mercury. You know, that's what I'm worried about more. Okay, okay, that, that makes sense too. And smaller fish safer because things that eat, like the thing yeah. at the top of the food, you see how it gets bioaccumulation. So I'm a shit don't up. eat a lot of whale. Try not to eat too much whale. I know that's like, that's it's hard yeah. to say that. I only eat plankton from now on. Word. So, yeah. so do, do Eskimos get all fucked up from eating all that whale blubber? <laughs> I mean, the mercury can yeah. be pretty dangerous, yeah. But yeah. there's other. I'm imagining there's a lot of worse things in Canada after my MK Canada show. There's a lot of worse things in Canada that people don't realize. Soviet satellites that have dropped and have shattered across uh, the entire north. So it's across all the snowplay for a thousand miles. They didn't talk about for 20 years. So people were going through there and they're like, "Oh, it doesn't matter. Just some Eskimos, right?" Which apparently is a pejorative, right? Because they're Indian. Yeah, it so, is. Look what, what they've done. What's what? the real name? What's the real, what are they? Well, I, I think Inuit, but I don't know if that's Inuit, right. okay. There's also the Haida. There's so many tribes, you know, it's, and that's a whole other thing. You know, these people that have been living there for centuries and were part of a trading coalition across Russia and China. I mean, it's obviously. I just wish, I mean, I'm trying to convince, I'm trying to convince as many brown people as I can to just go by beaners. So they can be the snow beaners if they want. Like, we're yeah. all just fucking beaners. And it's great. It is interesting that Euclid was, uh, no, sorry, Pythagoras was so against eating beans and the democracies associated with bean tossing. And that today, the remnants of Latin America, right? Because you got to imagine, Spain doesn't speak Spanish nearly as well as South America does. I, I mean, Mexico included though in Central America the Latin American experience is far more of a it's the way America's more British than Britain is but or whatever more English speaking it's like that so there is something about the bean and the idea of the republic and the Jesuit republic there's a reason why they use that term um and it seems important but in terms of radiation yes to both of your uh critics like so oil companies have made so much propaganda against nuclear power and to make it sound so dangerous Mm. when it really isn't that dangerous and can you make a bomb using radio amongst other things yes yes you can use radiation in a bomb it can be done there's a lot of other things involved with that and also in generating power right most of what people think about is steam power it is mostly a steam power thing but you can make steam power with radiation um hopefully this week i'll have jeremiah the technician come on my show i just on my show tonight had bernie croken talking about 
and showing videos of a recent experiment they did uh, of nuclear fusion in their home lab, right? Because you can use electricity to zap in a mason jar and to produce a certain amount of accumulated energy that becomes uh, potential energy, right? And so that can be done. And Jeremiah does other crazy stuff where he's powering his phone from UHF television signals as he walks by. So the energy is out there. Radio is powerful. When we think of nuclear uh, energy, that's kind of a weird deal because nuclear energy is, I mean, it. I, I believe in nuclear energy. I think some people think it's crazy because they're monadical and monadists think that an atom is like a grain of sand. And that's crazy, right? The idea of, of things being made up of smaller and smaller things, I believe in that. And so I think that bothers people because they can't prove what a pentacork or what a series of pentacorks are because there's a milieu of things happening. And while you're thinking about it to you, it, it is this, but it's doing so many things, right? It just happens to be your mom also, you know, it's just, there's so many things else that it, it, she's a, she's a real American woman, you know? So there's a lot more to, <laughs> to the atom and in the atom, there is atomic density and atomic density does have the c capacity to spin in charge and ionize. And I believe that because I believe in magnetism, but I don't believe in magnetism or gravity the way other people do. I think that the electronic spin state that you're experiencing hits a frequency, uh, uh, harm, harmo, uh, a harmonic frequency where they're at the same frequency at the same time. And so you feel a weight and you feel a, 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 a an else, a, a separation between two things. And so that comes off as gravity, that comes off as magnetism. But those things could be, thrown out of proportion. You could spin them a different speed. All of a sudden you could be floating. You could have a car that floats. We're seeing military projects all the time, um, removing the weight of things. I can't remember the name of the guy that we just did a thing on who he took electricity and in a Faraday cage crushed solid steel, just made it bend in on itself in a way that shouldn't physically be possible, except for the fact that we're using spin state to remove the magnetism and the polarity. So, I mean, all these things do relate to radio. And so a radio bomb is real. A radio generated electricity is real. Um, beyond that, what you believe about nuclear, that changes everything. I tend to believe in nuclear because I'm the kind of guy who believes that CERN really does affect things, right? Like, you know, CERN invented the internet, the, the World Wide Web. I mean, there were already DARPA and ARPANETs, but the idea of HTML and HTTP. So the looking glass into the future is through CERN. Like they're the first to be able to see web pages from the future and to bring data back to the past. So I, I look at it as a transceiver point. And I, th I think that you can use um, quantum entanglement also to time travel with that effect. So there's, there's a lot of reasons why I would like to believe in nuclear power, but not necessarily for the, the reason that other people would. And I think it's correct to say that the way nuclear bombs were described was fundamentally incorrect, hoping that most people wouldn't figure out how to build something themselves that uses nuclear mm. energy. You know. Interesting. And, and where they're at now, are they really, do they have these bombs that literally could end the planet? Is that a thing? So divider, if you see the 1992 last uh, nuclear test by the United States divider, it was a very large explosion it gives you an idea of how big explosions can be. You don't need a bomb to destroy. So that's a bad metric rather. Like you, I mean, if I were to just take a, a bunch of t uh, tungsten tubes of steel uh, phone pole size length and drop them from the sky down, uh, you know, I could destroy cities with, with the tungsten rods. You could completely do that. So the idea that 
the metric is how destructive can something be? I mean, a bunch of balloons could be destructive. It could, could completely destroy the environment. They used whistling to kill a bunch of sparrows in China, and it caused this massive plague and uh, pestilence where all the bugs ate. Like, feedback loops are so big. And that's what a nuclear bomb relies on in real life. It relies on feedback loops. So the problem with nuclear bombs now is that you i mean they're, they're built on a detonation device which is a normal detonation device that's supposed to detonate an atomic reaction which is supposed to be in a pressurized zone that part of it it relies on something that breaks down so most of these bombs that haven't been tested they can't test uh they're more the more dangerous part is that they don't have any sort of way of of turning on that's functional or that that part could accidentally function on its own because it's been left in storage in archives for 20 to 30 years. So if you had a bunch of these things and they're one of them explodes and it causes the rest of them to explode, that could cause major problems. <laughs> the, the fireworks videos on YouTube where they accidentally light the firework and then like the whole, uh, the whole car catches on fire. Right. But you know, and you also saw in Jordan and in Lebanon uh, last year, I believe it was a year before, just like weapons manufacturing wheat uh, mills exploding. So there's always the thing I like to remember is in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, there's the wheat mill explosion of 1900 or whatever. And it's the wheat mill was larger and made of stones larger than any stone in the pyramids of Giza. And they shot out miles in every direction, like cannonballs, because <coughs> these stone wheels that had wheat going the gluten eventually there was a spark and the powder in there exploded like a powder keg and apparently the big you know the one of the main ingredients in the civil war for bombs and dynamite was wheat so this explosion destroyed the major center of minneapolis and there's still wreckage from it from 150 years later uh, you can see where the minneapolis river is how it, it exploded in front of it so these explosions, the idea, I mean, so this is the problem. We're thinking of nuclear for the wrong reason. And the explosion part of it is a lot of propaganda because that is just something that's a facilitated thing from already existing bombs that have been well tested. And if you look into uh, the 15th century siege of Vienna, they have tunnels underneath in the siege of Candia, tunnels with bombs. They're blowing up landmines and things Centur seven centuries ago, almost, or three, depending on your Fomenko timeline. So you know, this is not a new thing, but what the petroleum industry doesn't want you to think about why they're telling you that nukes are dangerous is because nukes are super safe and they're really useful. Like the fact that is you could run your, your whole life off of ambient energy, like Tesla said, and that is radio. And that has a lot to do with nuclear potential energy. As far as I understand what a nucleus is, and I get that people will argue about that. Like for what, cause you know, like you, you've seen, what's his name? <laughs> There's the, a, I forget the name. There's all these people on YouTube that are fighting against the idea of a, a nucleus, but I literally think it's just because they don't understand. It's not a monad and monads. They have these pictures of atoms that they're like, Oh, look at this blue ball and this red ball. And it's a bunch of grapes. It's like, no, that's not what an atom looks. Well, stop. You know, and I had a quick synchronicity on here. Cause you mentioned that before there's, I find this the uh, mind blowing with that, that same um, scientist I mentioned that did the flatworm experiment in his history, he was actually on one of the very first boats in 1946, part of Operation Crossroads, which observed some really? of the very first atomic at the Bikini Atoll. And if you trace back, a lot of the uh, the people that were involved in those tests go on to do all sorts of incredible things with the rest of their lives, um, which is it's just this weird sort of like pattern that erupts. Dude, I mean, you said 
plankton earlier. I know it wasn't on this level, but if we're going to go to the bikini bottom of the bikini atoll experiments, it's hard not to mention that SpongeBob is about the bikini bottom experiments and the nuclear testing, right? I mean, that is the, the center of the show. And they meet L. Ron Hubbard at one point when they go to Atlantis. Do you remember that one? I don't remember that one. I have to find that mm. one. Yeah. Like do, they what call, do, they, do they actually call him L. Ron Hubbard by name or does he have some funny... They call him LRH. Okay. <laughs> pretty direct. Yeah. yeah, pretty direct. I'm LRH. Welcome to the... Atlant yeah, exactly. So, I mean, there is... But the, the idea of there being the astronaut, uh, you know, from Sandy, you know, the, the NASA kind of thing, and the, the nuclear testing, because there's all these people that were pushed off of these islands. And those islands, the other thing that's important is... Those nuclear testing, I think you've seen the stories about them being there to try to test to open the firmament, right? Mm -hmm. like the idea that the nukes are launched at the ceiling, trying to see if we can break a hole in the ceiling. Operation Fishbowl, right? Yeah. And there's yeah. The, the thing is right above Operation Fishbowl is the uh, the deep sea Marianas Trench uh, sister trench that they've got, which is the Bikini Trench. And it's one of the, the deepest trenches in the world. And they blew up one of the entrances to it. And so and there's all these volcanoes going deeper into the sea. I think that's a big thing is the Navy is the real NASA that's doing them. Like the, if you take a submarine and you put it through a Stargate, I don't want to sound like Corey good, but you know, if you go through a Stargate in a submarine, you don't need the rockets and the ceramic foam and you can just be in whatever sort of environment there is. I don't think it's outer space. It might be inner space, but that is a big thing about nuclear as well. Is the idea of shifting the sink of the quantum spin that wouldn't just change your weight. You could also Fentotech print your entire reality. And so you could create an entire new timeline based on this timeline that was just slightly off. And so, you know, maybe we don't pronounce a word the same way or something. And that's well, and, you know, and not to mention, man, that the Navy is a is a great sort of thread here because without the Navy, you'd essentially have no OSS, you'd have no CIA. Yeah. Um, a lot of like those original deep water, high pressure, even like the high altitude experiments originally Dude. kind of got their foundation in the Navy experiments before there was even an Army Air Force. Yeah, it feels like the Navy run things. Um, you look around the world, especially because we're talking about the uh, maritime law. I mean, it's the Navy that really has. I've got power. an expert well, coming on to explain maritime law to me here pretty soon. I'm pretty excited oh, about yeah. that. That's one of my favorite Jordan Maxwell uh, sort of like rants right. on maritime law. Well, I was going to mention too that prior to 1930, right? Like the the um, sort of like air warfare was nothing before 1913 ish like they didn't really have any sort of military purpose it was almost entirely for just civilian uh use um as soon as that took over that kind of now is like one of the main um aspects of any kind of military force but prior to that for the like for the last like 2000 years plus the navy was like the bigger your navy the bigger your entire army and nothing really beat the navy Air, air warfare sort of um, started to like circumnavigate that a little bit, but right. man, like that's why like all the intelligence, all the might, all the power, all of like that crazy research that they find out in the middle of freaking nowhere. That was usually with the Navy. Oh my God. In the Navy, uh, if you go and you look up um, now, like you said, Jordan Maxwell, but if you think about Glenn Maxwell talking about maritime law and how Tara Mar program was, and she's like, she had her own flag and she's her own citizen of her own uh, island, which isn't a real island. It's a man-made island. And there's all it's like, a, these... like a sea land operation, right? Yeah. There's a lot of Sealandias. Sealandia is a great example. You guys know about, you know about that, Nate, right? Sealandia. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you get your hard drives protected there for, by, the, by the British government. So the British government has these people, they're, they're protecting them, right? Because the Germans said, we're going to bomb them. And then the British said, no, we're not going to. So 
that's an interesting thing to have a separate government. But if you look up volcano mining and Swiss uh, submarine mining companies, you'll find all of these towers on Google Earth and Google Images in the middle of the ocean, just a single tower sticking straight up in the middle of the ocean. And there's it goes very far down. And there's a lot of there's a lot of other things than just the top of that tower. There's a city basically that exists. There's so many of these already and, and people don't understand how big the population is 20 30 40 000 people living in some of these uh submarine volcano mining facilities that exist for real yeah yeah i mean it's, it's out of control and nobody talks about it because who's gonna say these companies are big in america and in europe they have the carbon tax credits so they're building everything else and so they're making it sound like it'd be crazy but it's full-on james bond villain level right like this whole mm -hmm. headquarters I, yeah i got two questions so one of those is can they do whatever the fuck they want since they're in the middle of the yeah, ocean is right that where like point. snuff films are like getting originated and stuff like getting recorded i wonder Maybe. about human, human rights violations is an interesting idea because in that I, I did an interview with alexander dugan talking about the difference between the land and sea powers and this goes into the tartaria thinking why the russians and the persians are so interested in tartaria and why the west is less and it has to do with atlanticism like the idea that new atlantis and uh, paranoid American, you know this because it's about Rosicrucianism. Rosicrucians believe America is the new Atlantis. I mean, um, Sir Francis Bacon's book, Nova Atlantis. This is the the new or, um, champ. Yeah, Manly Palmer Hall's Secret Doctrine is another one. Exactly. America could be a free place for, and I've met so many kids in Boy Scouts that were into the occult. Like their parents were pagans and they were like, our family came to America so we could fight for our right to practice our own religion and we love America and we'll fight in every war, you know, and like Patriot pagan is a huge, a huge demographic in America. I mean, right? one of my, one of my favorite theories is from Michael Sarion and I, I bring this one up constantly, but I love this theory that the reason that we put our military and we give our generals, these stars on their lapels and the more stars you give them, the higher rank they are is that when they go out into battle, you're literally sacrificing like this is the, the greatest sacrifice I could make to the star gods would be this four star general. Mm. Um, and that that's why they have these stars is like these sacrifices up to the sky gods. I mean, you can see a lot of uh, the again, Michael Aquino, the amount of generals that were in the temple of set, like it's a huge number, but even if you want to take it a step back and look at Scottish people in America, because a lot of Scots uh, in the military and the police are still practicing Highland occult traditions. And that's cool. I, I mean, I'm, Amer I'm fully down, but don't get me wrong, but it's not as I'm, I'm saying that not to condemn it. I'm only saying it to point out how a cult is so perseverant in American culture. It always has been because you couldn't do that back home. Right. That's mm -hmm. that's why it is. It's a, it's well, a, it's it blew a my mind when I joined the military. I was there uh, 2001 to 2005 or something. But um, when I joined, it blew my mind that they actually had a Wiccan um, yeah. prayer service on sunday that that can like it was the same time as the catholic and the protestant there was a wiccan service and that was the first time in my life out you know out in the real world that i actually encountered like wiccans outside of the craft movie or barnes and noble freaking occult book section right and like so they weren't horrible people either like they're american loving soldiers right? they're, uh, yeah they're, they're military <laughs> they're yeah. all military so it is, it's very different than the way it's been presented in the media and the fact that people are associating Anton LaVey or something like that. When you've a better example would be, you know, some American Wiccan army prayer circle. That should be the thing that there should be. A, I want a TV show about that, really. <laughs> should I not be afraid like, of Wiccan true. people? Like, I, I have so much like cultural full, baggage from a being full like. Runs, a fool runs from their own shadow. A wise man stands yeah. in the light.
Okay, that's interesting. I like, yeah, I was raised in a very like hardcore Pentecostal church, and so like everything was the devil, dude. It's I, I'm like the, I'm the water boy. I'm fucking. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was an altar boy. I I think that uh, at the end of the day, evil happens in the church as well. I like those movies. I don't like them, but you know, when in a movie, when someone goes into a church and then there's like a shooting in the church, I'm like, oh man, that breaks all the rules because the church is supposed to be this like magical place where nothing bad can happen and i still kind of in my mind because of the but i know better because i live in south america so i've seen, seen some things go down i don't think that it's uh it's fair to say that the church is the safe place the pentecostal church especially and then to say the wiccans are bad i had a lot of good in santa cruz had a lot of good experiences with after school satanic daycare on beach cleanups and wiccan uh like counselors and and teachers and school administrators and things like that that were wicked and they're stepping away from a lot of the time you got women who were raised scottish catholic some something that effect and then they realized that the brewing women were burnt at the stake to get to take away their jobs right witchcraft witches brew because they're making beer and that job got taken from them and from there you know they start to think maybe we should get back into being uh, ourselves and move away from what the society is telling us to do. Unfortunately, that's about the point where anybody anytime finds another group that they're going to join and it's going to tell them what to do. So it doesn't necessarily yeah. lead to critical thinking. I'm not saying that Wicca is a solution or anything like that, but yeah, I wouldn't say, I think most people I've met who are Wiccan are pretty decent people. Um, if they're actually Wiccan and they're not, you know, cause having a religion can be a good thing for you, you know? Yeah. Like it, yeah, I mean, I just like I try. I have to like reteach myself fucking almost everything. Oh yeah. Because when I think of like when I think of like Wiccans, I'm just like, well, they're just evil. Which, <laughs> they yeah, it's not it. about this. But, but they're yeah. the, but that's the thing. The they're, they're, there's a, a lot paranoid of... American are doing a series on that on the Crusaders oh, yeah. series. Those comic books, they're yeah. fucking amazing. I grew up reading those. That I love those things. Those are rad. Yeah. Yeah. But the but you think about the Crusades even, and that's an example. You know, like there was a point where outside of uh, the Bogomil siege, they brought a bunch of Christians that were so, the, so in Jerusalem. Christians invade, Muslims are there in the city. The thing is, Muslims have Christians and Jews living with them. They have no problem. They're like whatever. And so the Christians are like get out, and they're like, oh my god, what are we gonna do? I don't know what to do. You know what? Look, we can't deal with a siege for five years, not with this population you Christians are going to have to go outside. We're, I'm sorry. And we, we, it's, on our, it's not on us, it's on them. So then they sent the Christians out to the other Christians. But then the Christians saw that they were brown and they killed them all. They killed, they, they just started murdering them. And then the, 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 the Muslims were like, geez, these guys, <laughs> I mean, if they're going to do that to their own people, what are they going to do to us? The rough you crowd. <laughs> yeah, tough crowd. And so that's that's the thing. I think uh, you know, so many innocent people that were into their own natural medicines and natural cults. Pagan used to mean not a part of Corpus Christi. You weren't a soldier. See, if Corpus Christi, you're a part of the soldiers of Christ, right? That's a very different time. That's a time when you're killing people with a sword for not believing in what you say, and not just that it's God's word, right? It's one thing to think, okay, I believe in God and I believe in God. No, this letter from Paul to corinth that's the word of god if you don't believe that this letter to i mean that's 
crazy. I'm sorry. And they're we're, killing we're, people over it. We're back Talk to my mother territory again, bro. That's like, oh, you don't believe in the King James Bible version? Off with his head. Oh, no, dude, no, that wasn't an and. That was an or. Kill him. <laughs> dude, it's nuts. And like, so the thing is, there are a lot of people that were like, actually, Paul said some things that weren't very Christian. Like, you've got the uh, different Gnostic groups, like the uh, the Esauites and the you know Valentinians and different groups, and they had a lot of problems with Paulationism, the idea that Paul was somehow you know the be all end all of Christianity, which is just it wasn't up until it was, and then all of a sudden that's why people are like whoa Christianity is really weird, and they got a bunch of hippies in California. They're like, hey, have you actually looked into what Gnostic Christian? This is pretty. That's only happening now, right? There for centuries there you were called a Satanist or worse, a heretic. You know, because a heretic is worse than a Satanist. A heretic is somebody who kind of believes in God. You know, a Muslim, they call all the Muslims heretics because there's a little, they don't believe in what we believe about God. They don't believe in Paul's words. So, I mean, it's, I think it's, I kind of, I kind of get the, um, I sympathize with people that were so eager to get out of the control of the Catholic Church. But then, you you know, you bring up Paul. I was going to say it's a it's a great one to bring up in this context because wasn't Paul essentially the killing first Christians? One, well, well, not just killing Christians, but the first one to also strike down and talk against magic, like Paul versus mm. Simon Magus, right? Right. He yeah. Kind of represented that initial satanic panic of like that's the devil, that's black magic. Uh, you know, don't use anything outside of these prescribe standards otherwise you're in violation of god's law and it's black magic yeah like why don't they want you to talk about simon you know because simon used to sit there doing magic in front of people until god jesus walked by one day and he's just like god bless you and then the dude's like huh, what and he starts sneezing right like and then all of a sudden he gets sick and he loses all his powers like dude what is that dude's power <laughs> and that's a good story that would be a better netflix movie than the flash i want to see that i want to see ezra miller learn that god is more powerful that is the, that is a how do you beat that? But they they take that from you and they say, no, magic is wrong. You shouldn't worry about magic. Never mind. Jesus did some miracles. You shouldn't do it. But that's still, it's a major part of Christianity. The idea that we're supposed to be like Christ. Well, how are you supposed mm-hmm. to be like Christ if you're not? I just, it is what it is. And it, that's the thing. So Christianity did evolve. And at the time, the idea that Islam was different than Christianity is really convoluted. And Manichaeism was the main one because St. Augustine he believed in dualism and then he didn't anymore. And he started believing that there actually is a major goodness that the evil was created from, but it's not half of it. And so th- those things start to make their way into American mysticism and folk magic and Scandinavian folk magic makes it way into Mormonism. And so 19th century Christianity in the West, in America is very magic prone. And I think that's a good thing. I don't think it has to be, um like erasmus tried to take away all the supernatural qualities of christianity and i think that's lame you know yeah dude the more and more i look into like old christianity it was pretty esoteric it was pretty fucking occult it was pretty fucking interesting and i want to get more in touch with that shit how do i do that dude uh cotton codex where beowulf is in you can read the gospel of nicodemus uh and so i mean you gotta remember how weird it is like jesus can fly uh he has a donkey head i think christopher has a dog head they go down into hell and they have to like get um jesus has to walk through hell and bring out adam and eve after fighting with the devil way interesting but they can you know you can fly so it's (laughs) this is like jesus's bogus journey from like 1994 (laughs) yeah but it's like 1394 yeah it's way better you know and that's the thing these are the kind of books that they took out of the bible so they can make the bible seem more 
um like a social oh, can we, yeah can we start book. talking about the removed books because two of my favorite books didn't ever make it in one of them not just because my name's thomas but the gospel of thomas is Dude. probably my favorite out of all of the apocrypha and then right on the tail of that one is the gospel of uh judas which i think is like one of the most fascinating ones at all uh, which is basically you, you're probably familiar with this but the premise blows my mind is that the judas had always known that he was the one pre-selected um to sort of you know turn on christ and that he actually was the main catalyst of even letting christ die for everybody's sins and that without judas that wouldn't have happened therefore judas actually had the hardest job of anyone because he had to kill his best friend knowing that it was the son of god like what the hell you you want right. me to kill the son of god dude this is heavy you know but he still and followed through with it so I, and the gospel we'll do we'll talk about thomas in a second don't let me forget but the gospel of judas is really huge because it was the one that vladimir uh sorry what's his name dragul you know the dracula what's his name then vlad the vlad the he was raised in istanbul and because he's kidnapped as a kid to be raised in Istanbul because his dad was a famous king and you know they, did, they didn't do the janissary thing which was the muslims would take people as attacks to fight the soldiers he just took his son instead and raised him pretty well there's a whole taurus bulba tie in there but what vlad the impaler had learned and in, in the gnostic uh islamic scripture that was available in istanbul and uh, constantinople was the gospel of judah and there's a huge connection to dracula if you're going to go with the halloween thing to vlad the impaler and to judah because judas judas you know he can't look into a mirror can't face himself afterwards the silver 30 pieces of silver the wooden stake from the cross piercing christ um there's the cape is supposed to be the same cape that they they gambled for and the idea that this is a continuation because he's not allowed to die because he tried to kill himself. Judas wanted to kill himself and hang himself, but they did that, that didn't kill him. And that there's another, is it Thomas? Is Thomas the other one who's alive? Because there's two apostles, one that, that are still immortal, right? And one of them, I think, is Thomas. He's like, oh, you're never going to die until the end of days. Where are they at? Hopefully not. <laughs> Hopefully not here. I don't know. They're, they're in Hollywood, bro. They're at the Dennis, Hollywood you're throwing us Toronto. off, man. You are Thomas. <laughs> they're they're <laughs> <playing. laughs> Paranoid American. What is the deal with the Thomas book again? I forget. It doesn't have the Qumran doctrine. Uh, right? So the, the Gospel of Thomas was essentially um, declared heresy because of a few simple statements. But the main one is is the concept of turn up any stone and th th I am there. And that the concept of um, if you wanted to form a church, all it takes is one person praying, and there you go, you got the church. And right. it completely—I believe in that 100%. Well, it, it completely turned upside down, like the papacy, basically saying, like, no, 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 no. you guys got to come here, you got to pay your taxes, you got to show up and wear right. the fancy shoes, you got to sit when we tell you, you got to kneel when we tell you. And then there, the Gospel of Thomas is like, nah, bro, just like wake up, go outside, enjoy nature. Bam, like I'm there, I'm in the tree, I'm in the grass, I'm in the stone, like. This you is my gospel, dude. Yeah, I, mean, I haven't read this. I'm, read it, Gospel of I'm Thomas. I'm reading it tomorrow. My, my absolute favorite book in the Apocrypha. So those are the things where I think the Pentecostal church was right, you know, in a sense, like trying to move into the, uh, like, especially, you know, the Quakers, the idea of removing the hierarchy of Episcopus and the Presbyteros instead of having elder system, having like a horizontal church. That's a huge one. And the idea that the church is maybe not one person, but two, like, so theology, the theosophy, the idea of theos shared lens. So 
my lens isn't enough. Us together right now having a conversation about God, this is us talking about something beyond our our own self. That is exactly, it's a verbiage of church. And so that's cool. And then to take that away from us and turn it into the Soviet Union, you know, that's what Constantine did. Damn. Yeah, I'm definitely reading that tomorrow. Fucking A. It's pretty quick read, too. It's not like a huge freaking Bible or anything. Yeah. But there should be a gospel of Nicodemus comic book. I don't know where that is yet, but just Jesus flying you're through hell. American. Yeah, you're, you're talking to the right person, man. Yeah, yeah bro. <laughs> Get that on and see that. <laughs> I'll make a okay, note here. so one real fast. You believe in ghosts or don't believe in ghosts? I believe in, I'll, I'll say where I'm at. I believe in interdimensional beings. I think that Bigfoot is interdimensional. I think fairies <laughs> are interdimensional. Angels and demons are interdimensional ghosts i'm not sure that we stick around i don't know if we get thrown back up and we you know get reincarnated that's kind of where i'm at sometimes some days other days i I don't know if we just go into something else special i don't know but i don't think we're there to like fuck around and like answer questions on a ouija board (laughs) right i I don't know what do you guys think about i don't i don't think demons want to be there to answer your questions on ouija board either no that's why they're mad all the time they're like why the fuck are you fucking with me yeah leave me alone yeah but yeah paranoid american what do you think uh, so I want to say I don't believe in the the stupid little orbs that show up on people's cameras because the dust is like <laughs> too close to the sensor and it gets out. Of, but dang, um, that was my favorite. <laughs> the orb theory, I, I I hate it. I hate the orb theory. But those nights always feel magical. That's why I posted those pictures. <laughs> but, uh, but when it comes to ghosts, man, there's this concept of psychometry, and uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this. Essentially, if you know how they make like a record or like the old sort of right. like cylindrical tubes but essentially as it's going around it's got this needle on um a surface that's malleable and the vibrations in the room usually you know a microphone talking in and it's wired up to that needle and as you talk it presses that needle down into the acetate and it kind of creates which is why the back masking record ceremonies under the full moonlight when they do the thing they spin the record by hand while they have neil diamond and a few other people with the (laughs) manhattan project sing you know babylonian ceremonies backwards i I like the the bill hicks joke as you take like a new kids on the block album and and uh place that one in reverse and that summons like (laughs) the seven archangels of hell but 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 the point i'm making is that this concept of psychometry Um, That's not how you make a record, but psychometry is taking like psychic energy and saying that that psychic energy or like the impact of a huge traumatic event. Let's say you went into the room that you and Cameron was doing a psychic driving on people and they were screaming and being tortured for, you know, months and months on end. Some people claim that you could walk into that room and feel that energy. Um, Maybe people can, but like cats and dogs, like the cats that can go in like hell when someone might be able to die. I, I kind of feel that this is not ghosts, right? It's not like uh, like the energy that's trapped in this realm and it can't get out, but it could be like the reverberations, like the recorded echoes of traumatic things that happened. And those can be picked back up with the right type of, you know, sensitive material. So I think Dude, that can be interpreted. Steve Jobs, as ghost. Steve Jobs dented the universe. And he's ghosts and everywhere. And now he's part of our lives, you know? there's That's the, so, the Slavic idea of the demon. So the demon, the diamond... A ghost. Okay, a couple things. One, if we were speaking German, this would be easier because we'd be like Geist. Yes, Geist exists. It's a soul, and then we, of course, we all have Geist. There's a soul. What happens to the soul? That's all. And then some people don't even agree on the soul. But the idea of the soul, even in the demon, is that you become the thing you do. 
And so the more you do it, eventually when you disappear, what's left is what you've done, right? That's a big Solomonic magic right there. Build the temple to outlast yourself. Build the family to keep worshiping in the temple, the Shintoist uh, philosophy. So I think the Geist is part of us in that sense. Like we create the soul and it exists and you can lose yourself. The demon ghost stories are always like, he got so crazy and he was so obsessed with this thing that when he died, now his screams are still heard in the woods afterwards because the thing outlasted himself. So I think that's, but also Santa Claus, right? He didn't have any kids. He loved kids. He loved kids so much. And now he bring, even though he's dead, he's still bringing gifts to kids. That's a very Slavic and Persian uh, idea of the extension beyond uh, the self. So I, I think there's that. I also think Sasquatch is either, you know, endangered or extinct, probably endangered, but not para, para, not, not interdimensional. I think he's just another, like a, the Gigantopithecus or Heidelbergensis. That was our whole documentary. It's search for psychic Sasquatch. You're yeah. shitting all over my parade again. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. Now, don't man. get me wrong. I think the idea that Sasquatch, like that there are, you know, interdimensionally uh, because of dark matter. I do. And that's another nuclear thing. If you believe in nuclear, you, you get to believe in dark matter. And if you do, then you can move mm. radio stations of reality. So there could be that there are beings tied to other realities that are here now. And there could be the, the wild man. And that's the, you know, but you think about the wild man from a, we have all these oh, stories. Dude, I have another evolution. question, Ed, but sure. sorry. Oh, well, I was going to interrupt you. Just uh, remind me. Okay. okay well, just, with evolution, <laughs> the idea that everything happened in a row is not true. We now know about gene flow. So there's simultaneously 12 to 18 or 36 different hominids all at the same time up until recently. How recently? It's a question of centuries, whether it was 11 centuries or one century or if it's still here and there's an ample bunch of room for it. So I'm a, I'm a fan of that. The idea that fairies are interdimensional, that's in uh, Shakespeare. So I believe that. I do believe that fairies are interdimensional. At least that they, according to Shakespeare, when we started growing things in straight lines, it pissed them off. And so they all turned their body sideways and now they're invisible. But what was your question? Okay. Well, one thing really fast. Sometimes they see Sasquatch during these UFO encounters and things like that. So mm. I... It's one of those weird things where I think Sasquatch, fairies, UFOs, I think they're all the same motherfucking thing. Hmm. I think it's all this weird, high strangeness. I don't know. I think that they, they appear to people in different ways, in ways that you can interpret. I think that it's sort of inside your own head, but you're also seeing something that's there. I don't know. It's fucking weird. Uh, but my Have real question was... Oh, no, 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 go for it. What were you saying? Have you heard, have you heard about the fairy? You heard about the fairy treaties? No. Tell me about fairy so, treaties. So like, uh, you know, Roosevelt, Theodore Roosevelt, and a number of guys who started these early pres wildlife wilderness preservation, huge lands like Yellowstone and things like that. It was supposedly because not that they were just all of a sudden getting super into saving nature when they're, you know, it was more that the fairies had promised a direct retaliation on the encroaching on their territories. And so ter territories for fairy territory were drawn up. Yosemite, um, near Beaver uh, Bay in Canada, um, Yellowstone in Wyoming. Uh, generally, there's areas around the world that were drawn up that even extended beyond that. And they started building these wilderness preservations because otherwise they were threatened that super volcanoes would blow up and destroy everything. And there's <laughs> Why didn't they let us visit? Why well, am that's I, the thing. I love Yellowstone. I go to Yellowstone. I've been there. I right. took my white glasses. I love Yellowstone. So they only Why let you visit. 
They only let you visit certain times and places in a certain manner. And they're making that more and more difficult. In the last 20 years, they've started closing down more and more of the state parks, which makes it more expensive to run. Because if you don't have people paying $10 for a ticket to park your damn car a hundred times over, you're not making it, you know, $10,000 a day. Like they you're, were. You're, you're blowing my mind right now because now I want to make a comic book on uh, Teddy Roosevelt and the Rough Riders versus the freaking fairy army and like the fairy war of the yeah of like the 1890s that we never heard about word and it ties into bohemian grove why do they have this huge uh, compound around it and the idea of uh you know protecting the fairylands is so important to the uh the what's it called the order of the pug irish that were involved with the bohemian grove the order of the pug being the protestants that had the pug dog and you've seen the pug dog and all that stuff yeah, dude. We just uh, I looked into the Order of the Pug recently because I was on a I was on a kick of just researching every single pope and all of like their weirdest decrees. And one of the ones is that uh, I don't remember the exact years, but essentially um, Rome decided that Freemasonry was no longer you know a cool thing. Like it was now off limits because the Bavarian Illuminati specifically was starting to siphon off so many Freemasons that like Freemasonry itself became splintered and you had all these different like major lodges and the Bavarian Illuminati was one of these major lodges. Like long story short, the Pope is like, get everyone, get your asses down here. We're going to sort all of this out. And they kind of decide on like what the official Freemasonry is going to be. And like what, yeah. um, you know, like the Roman Catholic and essentially in response to that, they create the, um, these aristocrats create this pug club and the pug club is designed specifically to just be like, these little work like legal workarounds where like we're still gonna do masonry, but they say we can't, you know, like um have these certain rituals. So they just don't do those things and they kind of sidestep it and it becomes the order of the pug and they literally like act like dogs and I think they like bend down and like kiss a dog's butt at one yeah. point. Like it was made Were as these a the original furries. Well, I mean, there's definitely no original. Thing. Original goes back further, but but, mm. but I mean, it's funny because it was like a mockery version of Freemasonry, just to piss off the Roman Catholic Church as a way of saying like, "Haha, like we're skirting your rules." We're technically that's interesting. I heard the rules. I heard it a whole other way. So the way I'd heard it was that the Order of the Pug was kind of created by Catholics, you know, in order to maintain control of the Freemason that was becoming more and more popular in England and Ireland, and because the Irish, there were so many Irish Catholics. But that they were into the control of the 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 British uh, Freemasons, that they had to kind of figure out a way of being dual agents, and it, so well, it was a loophole. It was it was so that like they wouldn't right. get excommunicated by the church. But the church wanted them to do it, so that they could. The church wanted them to to to. It's kind of like how Scientology got into the FBI and the IRS, so that they could uh, become yeah, Operation Snow White, right? Yeah, try to get as much information as you can about what they're doing so that we can be, you know, off the hook, right? And that's, I think, what the Pug did. And they're still in power, right? So Robin Williams was a member of the Order of the Pug. Uh, and there's a bunch of weird other people that I don't even want to get into Lincoln Park and see what you think of that. But mm. <laughs> That's wild you brought that up because that, that's one of those, like, weird tangent quasi-Masonic groups that not a lot of people know about. I remember one time I brought it up and some guy literally just stopped talking to me, pulled out his phone. He's like, oh, what? no, it, it's true. No, it's not even bullshit. Yeah, oh, okay. <laughs> all right, all right, I'll keep listening. <laughs> and, and it was funny because if you look into their rituals, like there was an expose where someone infiltrated and they like wrote all the rituals out and they literally like walk around on all fours and like sniff each other's butts like they do, you yeah. know, like act like dogs as part of their initiation rituals, which is it's just funny to, to read about. There's so, an interesting thing with the, the idea that St. Christopher was a dog and then the idea of 
that the half human dogs that were, you know, in the Byzantine period, they talk about these super saints that were partially animal and that the bloodlines of the Canaanites, Romulus and Remus, the dog star, Sirius, it all gets into the pug. This is a question. That's part, that's sort of connection to the question that I was going to ask you. Uh, but it, I was going to ask real fast, this thing of the pub, right? Is this sort of like an odd, like the odd man's, like or the odd fellows rather? Do you have to be like a certain level mason before you're allowed to be a pug and you can sniff ass? Or is no, so the order of the pug, the order of the pug was specifically for Catholics to be joining members of the Freemasons. Oh, and okay. and they also allowed uh, women, which was uh, way ahead of the time. At that point, there yeah. was no other Freemasonry group, but the order of the pug introduced that change. And I got I got a couple other interesting notes here that I. I had took down when I was looking into it. So the initiation, they wore a dog collar and they had a scratch at the door to be let inside. Instead of the three knocks of masonry, they had to scratch it three times. Um, They were blindfolded, led around a a carpet and barked at. And essentially they had to like remain steadfast. Like you're training a dog to like not react to outside stimuli. And that um, they all had to kiss a porcelain pug's ass as their ultimate extreme devotion to the order, essentially. Um, and mm. then they had like a whole, all these cool little things that like they had like a special little mirror that they had to like look into. Um, and they had to go like under all these extra ceremonies and they gave them after you got through the initiation, they'd give you this silver medallion. And um, I guess they wrote the book as the expose in 1745. So this goes back uh, deep. Like the order of the pug goes back way far. You guys watch that movie Pocahontas. Mm-hmm. Do you guys remember? Uh, hold on, it's, oh, what happened here? There we go. The pug in Pocahontas. The, the guy, the Virginia Company guy. He's he's a part of the order of the pug, and so the whole movie, he's got his pug with him the whole time. And the pug, they're worshiping the pug. It's all in order to serve the pug, who doesn't really know what's going on. Is kind of the joke. Slightly deeper than people realize. That's my honestly. I I had no idea that the order of the pug even still existed today. I thought it was like a flash in the pan. Um, just oh, to yeah, no. that for a and, while. And it's and you know, and you get into like Argentina and you start looking into the alternative propaganda duo uh associated groups because Italy broke down in the 90s and internationally the Freemasons don't recognize Italian Freemasonry for the most part. Like there's no lodge that's recognized. There's a few lodges like the Prince Hall lodges in America that recognize a few of the Italian lodges, but for the most part, after uh mafia associations, you know, they decided to to say, oh, this, you know, why? It's also funny that the Freemasons don't recognize them. Is like, oh, well, they're they're a conspiracy group that's trying to run the world. That's why. <laughs> so, but they're but the association to Catholicism is really interesting. People don't realize that the Vatican was so tied in to, especially at a period where Italy started out, where the in Istanbul and Turkey was the Catholic Church, and so when they moved to Italy, they also displaced a number of important families as well with their their wealth so there's a huge war going on in the catholic church as well that connects to freemasonry and the scottish catholics were always more associated with the northern italians ever since you know the friday the 13th and um Dimolay, of course right to the sinclair walt disney <laughs> word <laughs> word Okay, so here's my wacky-ass question. I had a really awesome interview with a dude that was explaining to me that, first of all, Jesus came from Crimea, uh, from that area of the world, and that that bloodline, they were the wild men. They were like the wild hairy men of like, oh, yeah. Europe, and so that they were actually giants. First of all, Mother Mary was. She was a giant. 
she it was an immaculate conception. There's also like paintings of her from back in the fucking day of her fully covered in hair. And he's saying that not only Jesus, but Mother Mary were Sasquatches. She's just Italian, bro. <laughs> well, yeah, the idea that you saw, so you saw the Ewing Jr. episode, and there's going to be a follow up this weekend about Napoleon. But uh, the idea that Crimea is north of Turkey, and so going through Turkey, Istanbul, Constantinople, that's the so Christ being crucified in Turkey. There's a lot of room for this to make perfect sense. And the idea of Christ being full Sasquatch is probably unlikely because the idea mm. that Joseph was of the Sinclair line is the story that he's this reptilian. What are the order of the dragon thing is the Joseph line. But then of course people say, well, but it really, he wasn't like them, right? He's more like the people he comes from. In, in fact, he comes from their whole religion. He's the son of their God. Right? So the idea that it's a two kinds of hominids that have interacted with each other at a period, not as long ago, people think where Neanderthals and, homo sapien sapien are interacting this is yeah. not that's not outlandish if you go to william randolph hearst castle hearst castle in california you see the pink sculptures of the wild men fur covered men i'm sure at this point you've seen tons of pictures of dudes covered in fur we just talked about uh some, did we epic of gilgamesh epic of gilgamesh you've got uh gilgamesh meets the fur covered man because Gil gilgamesh is two-thirds god and only one-third human the wild man is like two-thirds human and only one part god and so then he ends up getting kind of, uh, what do you call it, where you domesticate an indoor cat? Because Isis comes down and she has sex with him and it totally turns him into a soy boy. But before that, the wild man was wild, right? And so the idea that Jesus is part of that line, but also the idea that he's part of the reptilian uh, Sinclair line. In other words, going right back to Cain and Abel, the mark of Cain is that Cain is the son of, of the lizard, the son of the serpent ideal in certain gnostic beliefs mm -hmm. and so if christ is descended from both sides he's like half real half human he's all there he's like that and that fits into aldous i'm sorry julian huxley's father you know aldous huxley's father or uh right yes yeah, his father mm -hmm. is that right his book on uh transhumanism and then he published teilhard chardin's phenomenology of spirit and the future of man and the phenomenon of man and the divine milieu a jesuit who had discovered the Peking man and talked about evolution as a spiritual uh, worship. Evolution is worship and that the atoms are socializing in order to perfect themselves. And that Christ is this perfection of the human condition, which makes the most possibility possible. And that we should see the second coming of Christ as the emergence of transhumanism and in AI, when we have all of a sudden the opportunity to, uh, make the same miracles true to help people to live in truth, to not be so afraid of privacy, identity, et cetera, like that. I don't know. I don't think Christ was uh, necessarily, I mean, I don't think Christ was necessarily a, uh, how do you put this? The idea that Christ was part of Sasquatch is a lot more approachable than the stuff that's taught by mainstream religion. I That sounds crazy. How, how about Jesus was a mushroom? That's my favorite. I like the idea that Jesus took mushrooms. I like the idea that mushrooms are a major part of the Czech and spiritual I'm religion. I'm telling you the... that mushrooms brought me back to Jesus. I like went hard atheist for a decade and I started doing goo gobs of mushrooms. I started taking like quarter ounces, just, just fucking going heroic doses. And he brought me right back to Jesus. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the idea that the homostasis cathedral, the mushroom, and that we're these undulating... Um, 
undulating uh, scuba divers and uh, spelunkers uh, into reality from the mushroom that we come back to the source. That is a major part of many religions, the native shamans of Peru, Sufis, certain sects of Sufis talked about this. I just read that the grand vizier in Aladdin, Jafar, based on a real Gnostic Manichaean Buddhist from Afghanistan who was interested in mushroom uh, spirituality as well. So there's, there's a lot there, you know, I, I think the problem is of course saying that the answer is in a psychoactive experience because that still is material, but it will help you to realize that reality is an illusion. Just be careful because everything's an illusion. Yeah. Yeah. It just made me more empathic and it made me fucking realize it, it, you know, whatever fucking stupid shit. We're all connected and everything, but it really did. It made me fucking realize like, yeah, I mean, I see a spark of the divine in this homeless guy that I normally would just walk past and ignore. <laughs> I see Jesus in him. And so then I'd go over there and I'd be like, hey, man, what's your name? What's your story? Can I pray for you? Like, you want to mm -hmm. go grab some coffee? And like, and I was an atheist. I was a terrible atheist, apparently, because I just started praying for homeless people and just started hanging out with them. And then like, let's go get lunch. And just see, like, fried out of my balls on fucking. Mushrooms. I mean, but but if you go back and think, like, what if the Eucharist and that transubstantiation, they were literally just giving you a freaking uh, a purple ringer cap. I mean, now all of a sudden, everyone goes to church and they come out and they're helping all the homeless people in town, right? Like, what's more Christ-like than that? There's nothing wrong with that, you know. And I think that's the funny thing about Halloween. You know, if we're gonna try, try to tie it back into Samhain, the idea that Sam Hain Samhain is this uh, horrible. You know, and th that's the true part of the Hocus Pocus movie. He's like, it's a conspiracy by the candy cane company. No, it's real magic, but the magic isn't necessarily bad. You've got this idea of the harvest coming. Kids are asking for a treat or else they're going to trick you. It relates back to the idea of like people should be generous in their communities with their neighbors, you know, really is what it comes down to. And in the harvest season, you've got such a huge harvest. Share the wealth a little bit. These little tricks that have turned into, you know, you have to commodify yourself to defend yourself in society i don't know like halloween's turned into this weird thing but originally yeah it was about five days in the harvest time where people were sharing with each other and having a uh, a kind of a, a harvest festival you know and that's not evil and we yeah. lost that yeah i mean i think it's fucking sad i think we lost a lot about humanity when we took away like you know fucking farming for everyday normal fucking folk they took our land away they took our our ability to self-sustain they took away like our sustain our ability to sustain a community i mean i think we lost a hell of a lot with that commercialism and having this fucking mega fucking farm grow this bullshit and then we all have to eat this gmo garbage it will be really funny when we finally solve the first problem right because like in history there's really like the first problem the first problem is food we haven't solved yeah. the first problem yet. That was the first problem. There's millions of people have lived and died, and we haven't gotten that taken care of yet. That blows my mind. It'd be so easy. Female trees in all the cities. Go. Done. Well, I actually think that the first solution they're going to present is literally just going to be ground-up cockroach meal, and that's what they're going to say is, here's the solution to problem number one, guys. Dude, at least Dig it's protein instead of just wheat, and then very soon it'll be you and me. So I mean, Yeah, so I just hand us fucking bibs and forks and say, eat each other. Or yourselves, like in yeah. uh, Dante's Inferno. You know, the, the Hulu, you know, jack-o'-lanterns, that's a good Halloween thing. The Hulu is the soul-trapping gourd in Chinese magic and medicine. I have a Taiwanese guy on my show, Eddie, on Sync Tank, and I mentioned it. He's like, oh, yeah, Hulu, or whatever. Because, like, you say it slightly differently. But they named the Hulu channel after that. They even make a whole commercial where they talk about scooping your brain out with the melon bowl. But the idea of trapping a soul in a gourd for voodoo, hoodoo, uh, Hulu. 
You know, that well, is that's also, I believe, how they used to um, write about creating homunculus would be mm. through a gourd. They would yeah. put all the ingredients in a gourd and bury it. Dude, the gourd could grow some gourds. They make great drums. Yeah. And shakers and rattlers and yeah, the, the, <laughs> all kinds of instruments, right? And homunculi, apparently. <laughs> and a, yeah, and apparently, dang. Well, then there's a mandrake root too. I we could eh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, go ahead. Let's talk mandrake root. I, I was just thinking like the mandrake root is an important one as well because you know the mandrake root and some of the kinds of gourds require like a hanged man. Mandrake root requires a hanged man sperm to drop where the seed grows, right? And so mm -hmm. some of these gourds have to be grown from a witch who was killed unjustly. There's all kinds of weird. If you ever remember, like uh, you know, Grimm's fairy tales. They have these little rules and things like the candle has to be lit by a virgin. Like the, you know, the mother has to sacrifice her child for this to work. All these little things. Well, and, and those grim fairy tales too. I mean, I've done a, a crazy deep dive on Grimm because um, I've been going through like every old classic Disney movie, which is where a lot of those nice. came from. But, but the Grimm's fairy tales is, is a fascinating story because they actually were originally writing Germanic history and, and without the brothers Grimm, almost um, like a large majority of what we know today about uh, Germanic history and like old style Bavaria wouldn't even exist without the brothers Grimm. And there's, there's actually a whole wild tangent to be made, but the whole revival of German nationalism would not have existed without brothers Grimm. There very well might not have been a Weimar Republic. There might not have been a Hitler without brothers Grimm. Like they reinvoked wow. that Germanic uh, sort of like, there might not have been a Germany. Theory. There might not right. have been a German yeah. without Brothers Grimm, essentially. But um, in addition to them being actual historians and writing all this, all of those Brothers Grimm stories were them for, I think, like 10 years or something. They literally would just like walk out into the woods until they found like the old lady in a cabin and knock on her door and be like, yo, tell us all of the old stories that your your grandparents told you. And that's where almost all of those Grimm uh, fairy tales came from it wasn't just two dudes coming up with cool ideas they were literally scouring like wow. the four corners of like ancient this, bavaria for it that's cool shit dude it reminds me of i cannot think of his fucking name right now but you guys can probably pull it out of my ass uh it, there was like a hippie commie folk singer and he like it, i can't charles think of his fucking name charles man <laughs> yeah i know uh <laughs> But I can't think of the dude's name, but he's he's pretty fucking famous. And like this is from the 60s. But anyways, he like basically saved all this Appalachian like bluegrass and like real fucking folk music that like would have died. And he just like went through like the Appalachian, gathered all these old traditional weird songs and brought them back. And I don't know. It just reminded me of the Grimm. That's I all. That, that sounds yeah. like the Brothers Grimm, but just yeah. like Appalachian freaking one, you know, one string guitar style. Lomax recordings of the, you know, the prison working music, the Negro hymns and things like that was also really good. If you've ever seen the Lomax, uh, what's it called? The Continental Congress Library recordings. All these guys who were just wrongfully arrested in the South. And then there's amazing musicians that are keeping the beat. On All that, that same note, too, they've got um like the original Apache war cries that were mm. committed to audio for like one time only. Wow. And without that, it would be completely gone. They also have a lot of um like older guttural um, sort of like Native American folk songs that are completely gone now, but there's like one recording from 1918 from like an old, you know, vinyl cylinder that barely is even audible. But um, you want to talk about ghosts and we're talking about psychometry and recording vibrate. Like that's some real crazy yeah. stuff to listen to, man, because it goes so far back. Dude, the invocation <sighs> on the cassette tape. I'm a big fan of that belief, you know, and like the, the Tibetans, 
putting the prayer wheels together. So you spin the wheel and it has the prayer in it, but you go to the medicine Buddha in California and it's all magnetic tapes of the recordings of the Dalai Lama doing the meditation prayers. So when you're spinning it, you're spinning the magnetic tapes that would normally spin to produce <laughs> I love sound. That. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Well, and, and even right now, right? I mean, unless you're talking about solid state hard drive, like even the magnetic hard drive is the exact same. You know, you're spinning right. a disc around and extracting information from it. And, and that makes me think too, because like right now, if you were to, you know, 2022, you listen to an old recording from like 1880s or something, that's kind of like this weird peek into history. But in a hundred years or 200 years from now, they're going to have like full motion video, you know, yeah. 8K, 60 frames a second. Well, like what's coming out right video. now is crazy. I just saw, Metro you know, Metropolis 1927, Fritz Lang, some guy who does 4K restoration with AI, restored it into color. Right. And it's so friggin' crazy because it's like 18 frames, 12 frames a second. He's got to 60 frames a second because it fills in the frames. Yep. And you can see the sharpness in the background and stuff. And so it's not the same thing at all. It's like literally being there now. So we're going to all of a sudden be able to go back and feel like we're there. And there's algorithms that can actually show you what was behind the camera. Because yeah. <laughs> if you look at the light in the picture and it can actually get a picture of what was the other. It's like a sonar uh, radar of the room you know we could go i mean from uh there was that that uh movie with uh will smith that had that where he's like walking through a mall and they got security cameras and based on like the, yeah. the pens in the bag they can tell what's in it and what he might have bought um, that's happening I, I that. but man I, I, we could go on a whole wild tangent for another few hours on machine learning and ai because i've been i've been deep into it for like two or three years now and i do we should do good you should come on my show. We should do a thing sometime soon. We'll talk about uh, Grimm's fairy tales and AI because I feel like I'll hold, I'll hold you to it, man. Because those are my two, one of my two yeah, favorite topics. But, but I, I firmly, firmly believe that in the next decade, that uh, AI is going to be to the point where you just go to Netflix and you tell them like your favorite theme, your favorite, yeah, um, generative, and it just creates the movie right, right there on the That's fly. Happening. I could almost do that now. I need like somebody send me eight thousand dollars and I'll do that for you now. I just need a couple of those RTXs, uh, 4090s. <laughs> I could do it. I literally can. There's no problem. I have all the software. I'm already rendering AI generated animations based with stars and things like that. Mm -hmm. Yesterday, I did a whole comic book thing with um, uh, Angela Lansbury and Tom Selleck. You know what I mean? I just couldn't help myself because it wasn't enough. The uh, Murder She Wrote and Magnum PI crossover. There's only two episodes. I need to have more. <laughs> So, so I assume you're using like stable diffusion and disco diffusion and um, all like of those and more. I got my own. Tools, I got my yeah. own. I'll show me. I'll link you to my GitHub, man. I'm building. Yeah, some please stuff, do, man. man. I, I got started in style <laughs> stylegan one, um, nice. and I followed that through stylegan two and three, and I've got a whole bunch of trained models. I I think like two years ago, I I I did my own uh, model set on um close to ten thousand psychedelic nineteen uh, seventies album covers, and I have a model that can just generate. There we uh, go. Crazy looking album cover from the 70s. It has not like it can't even compare now to the crazy text right. to um image. That happens to be, I'll be doing like a video. It'll take me like two months to put out this like 30 minute AI generated animation. And by the end of it, my software is out of date because now I have yeah. all new software <laughs> yeah. on the background. Yeah, by the end of it, you just click a button and the whole thing happens on like Google Colab in like 15 minutes for word. Yeah. The PyTorch is changing the world. Sorry to nerd out. <laughs> <laughs> Boys, this has been a hell of a lot of fun. We just passed two hours. Uh, well, let's tell the listeners happy Halloween. Uh, okay, you, guys. Guys, <laughs> you guys are fucking awesome. Uh, you get throw some plugs. Andreas.me, you know where to find me. What about you, Paranoid American? 
Uh, you can see a bunch of my comics at paranoidamerican.com. I'm going to be taking them off the website at the end of the year, and then they'll only oh. be available for purchase or on Patreon. But for now until the end of December, you can go to paranoidamerican.com and read maybe about like a fifth of our library for free. And then wow. if you want to keep awesome. up to date on the latest cool stuff I'm working on, man, the list is going to go on forever and ever, but there's a steam game I'm working on that touches on a lot of that original of the satanic panic we got into Dude. today. The game's going to be called uh, Lucifer lives in lower Manhattan and it's going to be, I know he does. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, I've got the chosen one comic series, which is about Hell conspiracy yeah. podcasters, you know, going Dude, to love that area and everywhere. get me in that i want to start working with you with some comic stuff i can't Let, wait to let's get up man and yeah, and uh okay. and i'm also um maybe uh me and nate here might work on a little bigfoot uh paranoid Dude. Paranoid. guys fucking a. yeah and nate actually we'll we should definitely do a thing again soon and you guys know like expect it on exertus but also we could do a swap cast we'll do it back on reality stars love you guys i love what you're doing and uh yeah thank you for having me man it's awesome oh, yeah happy halloween man happy Dude. halloween Cheers, guys. Peace.